0: Welcome to Thursday's programme How you doing? Hope you've had a great day It is the 10th of June 2021 And it's 5 o'clock You're with the BBG with you till 7 o'clock I've got a very, very interesting programme for you today I don't mind telling you more on the other side of this
1: It's the BBG, not the BBC You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show Live from Salford in Greater Manchester
0: it's the richie allen show broadcasting live on RichieAllen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world and now here's your host richie allen now i'll be joined in around about a half an hour by the journalist jackie devoy who's been on the program before her byline has appeared in every newspaper in this country she's a very respected journalist she was in touch with me a few weeks ago to tell me that she's been working on a story for the best part of a year. She believes there is now an abundance of evidence that euthanasia is being used as a medical protocol in UK hospitals and care homes. Now, some of you will remember the infamous Liverpool Care Pathway, which was abandoned just under 10 years ago after being deemed inhumane. Jackie believes evidence is there, that this has been brought back in at the start of the pandemic or the so-called pandemic last year and it is being used in hospitals and care homes across the UK to see off senior citizens that could be treated. What's going on? Well, Jackie Devoy will be with me as I said in about a half an hour and we'll also be joined by, by family members of people who have died and these are people who believe that they have evidence that Uh, a grave injustice was done to their dearly departed. You don't want to miss this. It's coming up at around about 5.30. Yeah, it's hugely important, and if it's true, it has implications for everybody, doesn't it? We'll get into that, and obviously we'll be extending the program. Will be, we'll go right up to seven o'clock with that. Uh, Jackie will be on with me, and as I said, family members of people who have passed away. All righty, and if you want to participate, by the way, you can do so through Twitter. It's BBG Richie, or if you. If you have been affected by it or think you may have been affected by this, you can drop me a message through the contact form on richieallen.co.uk. All right. Thursday, June tenth, a little bit cooler here in Salford. This is an important story. A woman who lost her job when she said that people cannot change their biological sex has won an appeal against an employment tribunal. This, of course, is Maya Forstater. She didn't have her contract renewed. She worked for a think tank, you will remember, after she posted tweets on gender recognition. There wasn't any anything wrong with the tweet. She wasn't aiming them at anybody, but she lost her job. And she lost the original case back in 2019. The judge at that point said that her approach was not worthy of respect in a democratic society. Now, an appeal found the tribunal had erred in law and that another one should take place. Uh, She's from St Albans, my her. She didn't have her contract renewed at the think tank Centre for Global Development, where she worked after posting a series of tweets questioning government plans, which were later scrapped, to let people declare their own gender. You might remember that. Government said, we want people to declare their own gender. She said, well... Not too sure about that and lost her position. She claimed she was discriminated against because of her beliefs which include that sex is immutable and not to be conflated with gender identity. So a good day for her then. Here she is very briefly speaking this afternoon after the announcement. Maya forced at her.
2: So so the judgment found that my belief, which is that sex is real, immutable and important, which is just the basic belief about sex that most people hold, is worthy of respect in a democratic society. It overturned the previous judgment, um, and it said that this this belief should be protected. So people, people who hold this belief shouldn't be discriminated against at work or as um, users of services, And they shouldn't be harassed.
0: Yes, it is kind of crazy that you need to go to court or a tribunal to defend your right to believe that sex is immutable, isn't it? Now, so she's happy, her supporters are happy, feminists are happy, I'm kind of happy, to be honest about it, but not everybody is. The progressive screams can be heard all over the world. We're still hearing them. One of them is Jasmine Anderson. She writes about equality for inews.co.uk and not to put too fine a point on it, she's well pissed off. She was on the BBC News Channel this afternoon. You will hear the presenter first, then Jasmine Anderson. Okay.
3: It's such a complicated issue, this, um, and I'm not trying to uh, reduce it down to easy portions, but is the crux of it essentially whether
4: Maya Forster's beliefs are protected or not protected under the Equality Act? Is that is that the crux of it?
5: I would say to even complicate matters further, yeah. yes and no. OK. Because of course... Upholding certain beliefs does mean that it will
0: infringe on a certain community. No, no, upholding somebody's right to believe something does not infringe on a community. This is madness now from the very woke Jasmine Anderson on the BBC. Upholding my forestarters' right to believe that sex is immutable and that it matters, okay, is not in any way infringing upon the rights of any alleged community.
5: And of course, Miss Fostata says quite clearly that she believes that her beliefs are in no way denigrating to the trans community. and that-
0: That's because they're not. They can't be denigrating to anybody. It is a widely held belief in society that men are men and women are women, and that the biological sex you are born with the biological sex you are when you emerge kicking and screaming into the world matters and that it is immutable. It's very important. See, and
5: that was upheld in the judgment today. But I think we really do have to bear in mind with gender critical campaigns at large, there are very worrying links to the far right and funding from the far right.
0: Here we go, you see. People like Jasmine Anderson, who sadly has a column at inews.co.uk, can't accept a logical judgment. That says that Maya Starter is right. Not 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 that she's right, but she has every right to believe what she believes, and should not be discriminated against because of it. Now that they can't attack Maya Starter anymore, they've got to change the goalposts, move the goalposts a bit, and and make the claim, the erroneous claim, that this is being funded by and is being stirred up by the far right, which it isn't. This is nonsense.
5: Which really does impress from those methodologies that there are people out there who do want to reduce the number of transgender people that live in the UK freely.
0: Nobody wants to reduce the number of transgender people that live in the UK. Nobody cares. Until recently, nobody gave a damn. People only began to care when so-called charities, they're not charities at all, like Stonewall, ...began interfering in the lives of women. Real women. Women with ovaries and a vagina. That's when people got interested in this. For years we've had transvestites, right? Men who dress as women. We've had transsexuals, people who've had surgery. We've had she-males, all sorts of names for them. And nobody cared. Nobody. Until groups like Stonewall, as I mentioned... And so-called journalists like Jasmine Anderson started to say that these men who identify as women can do whatever the bloody hell they like. That's when it got interesting to people like me. We don't care. Nobody wants to reduce the numbers of transgender people at all. We want to live and live, really. What else does she say? They do
5: want to curb those freedoms. And they do actually want to see an erosion of transgender people. And it's that link there that really needs the to... The
0: presenter is useless. Hey, did you notice that, not just on Sky News, but on the BBC as well, there are a lot of new presenters. Have you noticed that? In recent weeks, a lot of very new and very green presenters. And I know this is going to sound ironic. Worse than the presenters they replaced. I suppose they should be, shouldn't they? But no, really bad. She should be jumping all over this inews.co.uk woman and saying, listen, stop talking about the far right. It's got nothing to do with that. It's about the protecting somebody's right to think, well, look, it doesn't matter what you say to me. I can see your five o'clock shadow. I can see your Adam's apple. I can hear your voice. I can see the bulge in your trousers. You're not a woman. Now, nobody says that. Nobody does that. I've never done that. I've never said that. But but Maya Forrestar has the right to think that and shouldn't be fired for it. And this going down the, well, it's all the far right to want to erase trans people is bollocks. There is no evidence to support this.
5: really needs to be looked at.
0: Well, okay. Yeah, let's leave that there. It's crazy. Good judgment. That ten minutes past five. Good judgment. Congratulations to my fourth starter. As I said, you can hear the woke screams around the world if you just pause for a minute, open your window. Yes, you can hear them screaming because they didn't get their own way. Good enough for them. Do you want to giggle, do you? Do you want to giggle? It's going to be a serious programme today. Do you want to giggle? Let's have a giggle. Charlie Mullins, bit of a cockney geezer. He's been called a pound shop Rod Stewart. The only way to get that is to... Use a search engine to look for a photograph of Charlie Mullins. He's a successful businessman, let's give him some credit. He's the boss of Pimlico Plumbers. I met the guy a few times in Spain because he was a regular guest on Talk Radio Europe and he would sometimes pop in when he was in Marbella. I found him all right, really. But he's proven himself to be a bit of a dipstick, Rodney. Because he's been banging on for weeks about no jab, no job, no jab, no job. Would a job have a jab. Would a job have a jab. He's basically been saying that he won't be taking on unvaccinated staff to drive his plumbing vans. And today he had a very funny and sometimes very surreal chat with Julia Hartley Brewer, no less, on Talk Radio. I think you might hear her first.
2: Covid is far more dangerous uh, for the very for older people, all of whom have been offered the vaccine and the vast majority of whom have taken it. In which case, they're protected. Why do you have to say to your plumbers if you haven't had a jab and you haven't proven to me that you've had a jab, then you can't work? Why do you have a right to see their medical records?
6: Why do I have a right? Well, as an employer, as I said, we have an obligation to protect our staff and protect our customers. So, so what, why would we allow people in our building or working for us that can go around spreading the epidemic? It's all about spreading the epidemic. It's all about safety. I well, mean, well, hold on taking- a
2: minute. But this is where we come back to the flu, because flu is also Sorry. a danger. Why Do you check that people have had their MMR yeah, but- as well? But why
6: are we talking about flu when we're talking about the... the, Because it's the the same
2: principle. You're saying this is... So you're concerned about protecting your customers and your staff from one disease, but you're not bothered about the others?
6: Yeah. Of course I'm bothered about it. But
2: but you're not going to be asking for proof of a flu jab?
6: Yeah, but as I say, you, you, you're coming away from what we're on the on the radar. No, I'm about,
2: not. You know? No, no, Charlie. This is exactly the same topic. Do you, as that. an employer, as someone who provides a service to people yeah, in well, the home, to... have you're... the right to ask for people's personal medical records? I don't think you do.
0: Well, he's already said that he does, Julia. No. Julie, look, you're you're against the vaccination, yeah?
2: No, not at all. I'm very pro-jab. I've had my okay. two jabs, even though I've okay, had COVID. So,
0: so what was that? You had the two jabs, even though you had COVID? I'm very pro-jab. I've had my two jabs,
2: even though I've had COVID.
0: (laughs) It's just mad, isn't it? It gets even crazier by the day, you know? It's wonderful stuff, this. I'm
2: very pro-jab. I've had my two jabs, even though I've had COVID.
0: I'm very pro-jab. I've had two jabs, even though I had COVID. Presumably, Julia will have the booster jab in September, which is the same as the two AstraZeneca jabs she's already had. It's just, it's world-class, this. There are days when I just grin. I walk around like a Cheshire cat. What else was said between Julia and Charlie, the Pimlico plumber?
6: So if and when employers come into your office, are you okay that they come in and have not been vaccinated? Yeah, okay absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely fine.
6: You are. Okay, well, well, that's fine. But I can't imagine that the people that run your um, business is going to be okay. With well, that. no, we, I mean, we,
2: don't, we we don't. We don't in, in my building in Talk Radio Towers, News UK. We, we people are not required to provide proof of having a jab to walk into the building. People are people yeah, are people are asked to wear masks. People people are asked not we, to come we, to the office if they're ready. We
6: disagree. You're a bright lady and you understand the importance of having the vaccination, and the more safe that we can make it our workers and our customers. That's what we need to do. I mean, why, why are people making an issue of it? I'm not the bad guy here. The bad guys are the people that won't have it, don't have it, or, or, or just want to go around spreading the epidemic, you know?
0: <laughs> I'm not the bad guy. The bad guys are the people who don't have it, won't have it, and want to go around spreading the epidemic. I think he summed me up nicely there. That's exactly how I feel. I don't want the jab. I won't have the jab. I just want to go around infecting people with my COVID germs. It, you know.
2: They're um, not. People, I, aren't, people aren't bad guys. Look, I, I, I think that if you're at risk and you're higher at risk and you're over 50, certainly over 70s, if you're overweight, you've got any health reasons and you're not taking the jab, I think that's a foolish decision. But it, we do actually allow people to make their own decisions about their own health in this and country. make
6: their own decision. I'm not forcing anyone, Julie. Uh, but
2: you're saying, Yo, actually... I won't give you a job. Are you going to sack people who've okay, already got that, a job if they won't show you that, their that, vaccine passport? Or is it just new employees?
6: Look, Julie, if they didn't have the proper qualification, I wouldn't Julie. give them a job. If they wasn't having the right experience, I wouldn't give them a job. That's not discriminating. Uh, you know,
2: I, that's, I, But I that's haven't... relevant. But, that, but that's relevant, Yes, Charlie.
0: answer the question. Are you going to tell the existing staff who don't want the job that they've got to have it or, well, they're going to be fired? What
2: about someone who says, um, I have had the vaccine, but I refuse to show my proof of my vaccine to you because it's none of your damn business, Mr Mullins?
0: Yes, good question. Uh, I, I'm going to
6: disagree with you totally. Uh, it's my business who I employ, who I have in my building, and I go back to what I'm saying. It's about the safety of it. Look, it's not a big deal. If if um, they've not had the jab, go and work for somebody else. I mean, you know, what's the problem? I'm not I'm not forcing anybody. We're saying is. The, the the government are offering you uh, a way out of this for everybody's safety. If people don't want to have it, no problem. But you won't be working. I won't mention the company, as you said. <laughs> you won't be working for us.
0: Yeah, the government has given us a really good way out of this. How dare we slap their hand away? We're selfish baxters, aren't we? The government has shown us a clear pathway out of this pandemic, this terrible plague that's everywhere. The government has shown us the way. And it's the vaccine. We must be off of, our, off of our trolleys. We must be out of our tiny mines not to want to have the vaccine.
6: Customers are over the moon. They're asking for... engineers. Customers are over the moon, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Customers are over the moon. They're asking for engineers that have been vaccinated. You know. Uh- oh, you not- I don't believe him.
0: Do you? Do you really think people are phoning up? I need a plumber. Make sure he's vaccinated now. If your boiler has exploded and you're two feet deep in water, water is coming up to your testicle. Are you really telling me that you're ringing up Charlie saying, Charlie, there's water everywhere. Uh, the shag pile carpet is fucked, Charlie. Uh, everything is round, the wallpaper. Uh, I need a plumber immediately. But it has to be, Charlie. It has to be somebody who's had two jabs, who's wearing a mask and a visor, <laughs>
2: right? Charlie, I'll tell you right categorically... On principle I would never if, if my home was being flooded right now and you were the only plumber in town on principle I would not use your services because of that policy <laughs> That's your choice get <laughs> get get
6: a two bob plumber in who who's got who ain't been vaccinated i mean that's your choice you, you pay for a service you pay for quality you pay for safety but it's not a big deal uh julie you know
7: you're it
2: making... is a big deal to somebody who's looking for a job but I, let me come back to the question i just ask you is this about new people getting a job or are you saying to people who are existing staff if you don't show me proof of your jab you're going to be sacked
6: yeah, you're trying to put words in my mouth.
2: I'm asking is- you a question, Charlie. That's different. <laughs> answer the question. Don't oh, share. I'm not
6: your husband. we are not man and wife having a round. <laughs> uh, you ask me a question, I'll give you an answer. We're, we're dealing with new people that are going Don't share. I'm not your husband. New people that are going to start in September uh-huh. when hopefully... The, the-
0: uh, look, he eventually goes on to say, yes, we will be changing the contracts for existing employees. Presumably, Charlie's employees... Don't have jobs for life. They have two-year contracts or three-year contracts. When the contracts are up, Charlie's going to say, right, you won't be renewed unless you can show me that you've had two jobs. There you are. 18 minutes past five. You can speak to me directly on Twitter. It's BBG Richie. You can send a message through my website, richieallen.co.uk. Got a very serious subject coming up now in a few minutes' time. Now, we need to pay attention to Jackie Devi will be on the programme with me and we'll be hearing from people who believe that they've been directly affected, that their relatives have not just been badly left down by the National Health Service, but that something far, far more sinister may have happened to their uh, relatives. We will explain the Liverpool care pathway. It might be a term, it might be be new to you, you might not understand uh, that. I covered that extensively back uh, around the time that it was abandoned, Allegedly, but it wasn't really abandoned. But this, this is very serious stuff. We'll be getting into it shortly. Let me go down the, uh, let me go down uh, the, the, the the tweets, as it were. Hi to John and Austin. How are you doing, John? Angela said, the pound shop Rod Stewart is very close to Boris, isn't he? Is he? he? He might very well be. Is he a donor? Does he donate to the Tory party? He might do. Hi to Caroline. Caroline says, Richie, he is trying to sell part of his company at the moment. Is he? Charlie Mullins. Wow maybe that explains his love for the jab maybe, I don't know, maybe it does Hi to Bill, uh, Suddy says uh, Charlie Mullet, good man <laughs> Good man good man indeed. Hi to Roberts. Hi to Matt in West, Western Massachusetts. He says, Richie, I turned 41 today, although I feel like I'm 25. Eat well, stay away from the doctor, love yourself and your family, says Matt. Thought attracts that upon which it's directed, my friends, he says. A lot to be said about that as well. Hi to Paula, says Richie, evening. If Charlie Mullins used to drop by and see you in Spain, what did you chat about? I can't imagine that you'd have much to discuss unless you had him come in as the other side of a particular argument. No, I don't um, want to give you a, a false impression. I never interviewed him. He was interviewed by the Mid Morning guys. They loved him. The Mid Morning people. The Mid Morning show at Talk Radio Europe was and still is just basically a magazine show, with 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 which is interspersed with UK celebrities who regularly holiday on. Uh, The Costa del Sol. So it would do a little bit of politics, a little bit of soaps, a little bit of the usual magazine stuff. I would see him popping in and out, but I I never interviewed him at all. Hi to Gary, you says, Julia Hartley Brewer. I'm pissing myself here, yeah. The conversations are getting more surreal on National Talk Radio in the morning, so they are. Okay, so when I've got Jackie and our other guests on and you want to contribute... Do tweet me, BBG Richie, or do send me a message. As I said, I will be reading them out, okay? I will make room for them, particularly, I have to say this, particularly if it's something that affects you directly. Okay, it's very important. This is a Thursday's Richie Allen Radio Show. Please do check out richieallen.co.uk. That is my website. Articles pretty much every day posted on the website there. For you, for your perusal and... Um, uh, you can join up there and you can interact with other people and post your own opinions and articles as well, alright? Okay, we're off to um, we're going to talk to Jackie Devoy and others shortly on uh, Thursday's Richie Allen Radio Show. To get us there, here's Gilbert O'Sullivan from my town. Right, that is Gilbert O'Sullivan and Get Down on the Richie Allen Radio Show 24 and a half minutes past 5 o'clock this Thursday is the 10th of June 2021. I'm going to read out something now and it was sent to Jackie Devoy the journalist and my friend and former colleague who will be on with me in a moment so I want, I want to read this out. Okay. This is given to Jackie. The NHS has murdered my dad. He walked into a hospital in December 2020, after not eating and throwing up for 10 days and feeling very unwell. Nurses told him he was low on oxygen and put an oxygen mask on him so tight it broke the bridge on his teeth. After two days on oxygen, they told him he had COVID and had to go on a ventilator. He rang his friend, really scared and didn't want to go on a ventilator. His friend couldn't hear the nurse saying, excuse me. He rang his friend really scared, saying he didn't want to go on a ventilator. His friend could hear the nurse saying that he has to hurry up now because they need to go. He was so scared and begged not to go with them, but they took him against his wishes. They put him on a ventilator and I was told I could not go and see him after being told I could only have one phone call a day for an update from a woman they had hired specially for family who wanted information. After day four, they said he had a bacterial lung infection and COVID and would need two different types of antibiotics, plus the medication for COVID that they called midazolam. They told me it was to calm him down whilst on a ventilator. He was also on morphine. Five days later, they said a chest X-ray has proved a secondary lung infection, so now they were giving him three antibiotics and they said they were changing his ventilator tube as this might help. Then two days later, he had bacterial pneumonia and they said they were uh, proning him. Then the woman that was supposed to call me didn't for three days. I ran continuously. I was screaming down the phone, is my dad alive? They said they couldn't tell me and that I would have to wait for that woman to call me. Eventually, on the 12th of January this year, they called me in and said I have to say goodbye to him as they will be reducing his medication. And they have put a DNR on him. Do not resuscitate. I begged them not to. I asked them to send him to a homeopathic hospital at the UCH. They said no. Uh, They told me I had to come in. I thought slowing the medication might make him stronger and make him be able to fight this for himself, so I walked in there with my nebulizer, tea tree oil, three crystals, and his Koran. I really thought he would get better, with me being there and some positive vibes. When I was about to go in, they said they would give me 15 minutes and then turn off the oxygen. I kicked off. They got another doctor in to talk to me. They tried convincing me that this was all they could do for him. My dad started crying when he heard my voice, and his tongue was moving rapidly in and out, like he was trying to talk. And his pupils are tiny. I guess from all the morphine. When he started crying I was screaming at the nurse that he could hear me and why is he crying and trying to talk. The nurse said sometime, sometimes that happens and not to worry. She turned the heart monitor screen away from me. I was with him for about 15 minutes massaging his feet, spraying tea tree oil everywhere, holding the crystals to his heart. He was crying, I was crying. I kept telling him I'm so sorry. They are doing this to him. I'm sorry they're, they're doing this to you, Dad. And then the nurse said, Now we're turning off the oxygen. And they made me watch my dad die in my hands. My dad had no other health problems and was an extremely healthy man. Even at death, he was the appropriate weight and colour. The only thing physically I could see were his eyes, his pupils are absolutely tiny. He's a Muslim and we buried him within three days. I feel if he is exhumed, you will find that there was too much morphine and midazolam in his body. My dad didn't even take. The nurse uh, hugged me after we came out of the COVID ward at this stage. I was in my civilian clothes. I was surprised and asked her if she needed to self-isolate after working on the ward. She said no. I wondered why then I was not allowed to my dad's funeral, as I was told I had to isolate for 10 days. I asked the nurse if she had her vaccination. She said no. And that they do not need to self-isolate after their shifts. So why do they not have to self-isolate? Are they not slightly scared that they will infect others? Since they were scared that I would, uh, hence the 10-day isolation for me. I'm so at a loss as to what to do. They know they killed him. I know they killed him. I want justice for my dad. I know they killed him. But I don't know how to go about it. Please help me. I'm so sad for my f- for my father. I'm so scared for our future. And that was sent to Jackie uh, Devi. Jackie, as I said, is a journalist who's uh, been on this programme before and whose byline has appeared on uh, pretty much every newspaper in this country, has written stories for every paper in the country and has supplied uh, stories for every uh, newspaper in the country. And we should be joined by Jackie right now. And as I said in a few moments time we'll be hearing from other people people with similar stories to the one i just read out jackie welcome to the program how are you doing
8: hello richie i'm
0: you glad, hear me okay? i can hear you loud and clear i'm i'm glad you're on jackie sure. jackie this yeah. this goes back about nine months for you um tell yeah, us te- yeah.
8: Yeah, that um, story that you just read out i just got that one this afternoon um that's one of hundreds I've had in the last week or so since I spoke out um, publicly about the story that I've been working on. Um, So I'll just do a very quick summary because um, I think we need to just let um, the the other people speak and tell their stories now because I've done a lot of talking this week. So as a freelance journalist, obviously, I get people coming to me all the time with various stories. I like to say that um, the stories I tend to write are human interest stories, so they can cover a a lot of different subjects. Um, A man came to me last summer saying that his relative had been killed in a hospice. And um, when he told me the full story um, and and presented some of the evidence that he had, um, I I was pretty certain that it was a, a true story. So I started investigating And found lots of others in the same situation. And um, people who are talking about um, their um, usually elderly relatives being um, seemingly um, killed, really, um, euthanized in hospital. Um, One of the the common um, things I heard was that people um, always, the the, the nursing staff, always seem to know when. When the patient was going to die, they'd say, come to the hospital. They've only got a couple of hours left or you better come now because he'll be dead by the morning sort of thing, you know, pretty cold really. But I was thinking about that and nobody knows when another person is going to die unless they're killing them. That's the only time you know the exact hour of someone's death. So that that's always a bit suspicious.
0: Can't em- um, Can't nurses and doctors from experience, don't they have a bit of an inkling as... When somebody's time is coming to an end, they might make that argument, Jackie.
8: Um, an inkling, yes, but some in some of these cases, it's been very specific. It's like you know, you better come now because yeah. you know there's only an hour to go. It's like how do they know? How do they know? But um, anyway, I looked into it and spoke to a lot of people, and then um, went down the rabbit hole a bit further. Found the House of Commons document from um, that that shows Matt Hancock talking to Dr. Luke. Evans MP about um, getting the equipment that, uh, for hospitals that, and care homes um, so that a good death could be, um, could be had by uh, COVID patients. So um, the actual quote from Doc, Dr Evans is very strange. He said to Matt Hancock, a good death needs three things, equipment, medication, and the staff to administer it do you have enough syringe drivers in the NHS to deliver medications to keep people comfortable when they are passing away? And Matt Hancock replied, yes, we have. A challenge was raised on that about eight days ago. It was not as big a challenge as was made public, and we have resolved it. Yes, right now we have enough. Now, the word that Dr. Evans used there um, was a bit of a giveaway. He said needs, a good death needs. Now, a good death, in medical terms, it's, it's medical, a medical term for euthanasia. Euthanasia means a good, means yeah. good death. Um, people might argue, oh, he's not talking about that. He's talking about, you know, a good death is when you die peacefully in your sleep or something like that. But he says a good death needs dying peacefully in your sleep. That kind of good death doesn't need anything. And he's specific about what a good death needs. It needs three things, equipment, medication and the staff to administer it. If you're, having a, if you're dying peacefully in your sleep, you don't need any any of those things.
0: No, this is so. sm- the smoking gun, right? I mean, I've looked at yeah. this 500 different yeah. ways, what Hancock said and what Luke Evans said. And you, you do everything you can to be the devil's advocate. But, but yeah. I, can't, I can't be. It's obvious that they're discussing how do we help people on their way. There's a video
8: of them having this discussion as That's well. Right. Thought, have you seen it? Uh,
0: it's, yeah, it's um, interesting, yeah.
8: And they look like a couple of schoolboys talking in a code, thinking that mum won't understand, you know? They're terribly smug and pleased with themselves. It's quite horrible to watch. They also ask a bit further in the conversation on the House of Commons document. They turn to Professor Van Tam and say, um, asking, did he want to add anything? Matt Hancock said he may want to say more, and Professor Van Tam said, "Thank you. I have nothing really to add on that." So I think that's his way of saying I'm not
0: getting involved. I'm not getting involved. That's that's Jonathan Van Tam, who's the country's deputy chief medical officer, if I if I've gotten that right. So for for listeners just coming into this now, evidence is emerging. It's not emerging. Evidence is is out there that the current health secretary was having conversations last year about how COVID patients could be basically eased out the door, how, how they could be given a good death, which by any other definition is euthanizing them. Now, when I announced you were coming on, because you're well known, I had an email from a doctor who said, Richie, it's a bit cowardly of me, um, but I'm not going to come on with you. And I don't want to use my name. But I want to point out that while I understand why Jackie Devoy and the families are very concerned about midazolam, don't rule out the possibility that Hancock and his doctor pals might might have been ordering midazolam because ventilating somebody is such a horrendously traumatic and invasive thing. They might have seen midazolam as being a drug that would naturally help that process um, to make that process more comfortable for people being ventilated. That's all this doctor would say. And said no more. And said, "Look, I want you to make that point because we're going to talk about medazalam now. Because I share your skepticism, by the way. I mean, everybody knows uh, that. Uh, but but he wanted to, say, or or she wanted to make that point. The medazalam might have been about. Let's make sure when when we're ventilating people that it's not so traumatic for them. Just wanted to put that in there.
8: Yeah. Um. That um, is, is one of the arguments. Yes, but in this particular document, in this particular video, they're talking about death. They're not ta- talking no. about putting people on ventilators. They're talking about helping them die.
0: Thank you. I wanted. Right. I just wanted to make the point that somebody had been on, and I made. Yeah. The, I made the same point. Yes, they're not saying specifically. Look, ventilating is terrible. Let's make it easy. They're talking about people passing on. Yeah. yeah, and you've had hundreds and hundreds of people.
8: Yeah, so I, I took I took this... I thought, well, this is a massive story now. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. That's just the, the, the tip of the iceberg. Um, so I took it to um, 28 um, news editors, mainstream media news editors uh, for newspapers. Um, and the next morning thought I would have a very full inbox, but um, it was just tumbleweed in there, really. Um, and so couple of days after that i did get a reply from one saying he was not in that week then i got a reply the next day from someone else saying they'd passed it on to someone else and then a couple of days after that i got one editor kind of tentatively asking questions saying there were some bits they were interested in but they weren't particularly interested in the anecdotes um of people but to me
0: anecdotes think- anecdotes <laughs> the person know, said not, to you but i don't
8: know the, the, the anecdotes are, are the most important part of 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 an investigation and and if you have one anecdote then you might you know be a bit dubious about it but um when you've got 50 like i had at that point 16 people willing to speak out and put their names to their stories and put their photos to the stories um it can't be ignored and since then there's been um you know a whole lot more like i said hundreds so um i think what we should do now is really just let the four people that we've brought on today just uh, um, tell their stories because the stories speak for themselves.
0: Well, can I let you get on with that? I mean, I'm I'm delighted to sit here and, and chat with um, the people that we're bringing on and listen to them. But it's your story, Jackie. I know you don't care about things like that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you, you've you um, gotten to know the people we're going to speak to. I'm happy to sit here and, and let you take over. And I'll throw a few tweets in from time to time. But this is massively important for everybody. I I don't want to be trying to oversell this. This is huge. There was a time, and Jackie knows this, when Fleet Street journalists would have been biting Jackie's arm off for this story. And you might say, you know, it might be selfish, but fair enough. But that's how stuff got into the public domain over the years because journalists wanted to make a name for themselves. This is a monster story, this. Uh, I, I know it's unfair to say that because we're going to hear from people whose family members have died this is massive and it needs to be told. Jackie, who are we going to hear from first then?
8: Um, first we've got, um, I, I'd like you to join in as well, Richie. I've never I've never done a radio hosting before you've well, thrown you, me in at the deep end. You'll there. do a bloody good um, job of
0: it. Um, I'm happy to sit here and chat away and interject, but <laughs> yeah, go so ahead, Jackie. You're
8: still there as well. That's good. Make me feel a bit less uh, less nervous. So um, this is uh, Stuart Wilkie. He's a former medical researcher. Um, he's been through the most horrendous experience that you you could possibly imagine. Um, he's now, as a result, helping people and giving them advice, people who've been through the same or similar experiences he has. So um, I'm not sure how to connect him. Are you connecting it automatically? I think,
0: I, I think Stuart is there. Stuart, welcome to the program. Good
7: evening. Nice to speak. No, it's, it's
0: my it's my pleasure, Stuart. Just, just in case you have your, I think you might have your camera on. Um, it's best to turn it off. In terms of sometimes it messes with the bandwidth and it might get a bit mm. scratchy to sound. So so I'd say that to our other contributors. Uh, don't have your camera on. It can sometimes make the call a bit a bit scratchy. Um, Stuart Wilkie is on medical researcher, and Stuart mm. I meant that you're very welcome, mate. Tell us tell us your own story. Well, my my. my... That's really scratchy there Stuart we we can barely hear you it's um, very distorted I, I was wondering if you could possibly switch the camera function off on 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 your screen there don't um, don't panic about it we've all the time in the world uh, it sometimes happens when you do a Skype call and you leave your camera on it can get a bit uh, you can get that distortion on there i can see Stuart uh, he can't see me obviously i'm in a radio studio but hopefully we can we can sort the it little out the camera
8: icon at the bottom of your screen just tap on that. It's next to the microphone.
0: Uh, and we'll, we'll sort that right out. Um, the, the links that Jackie has already alluded to, the videos and stuff like that, at the end of the programme, all of it will be on Twitter. And I will tomorrow, I, I will make time tomorrow to put the information on richieallen.co.uk. Stuart, that's a bit better. I, I don't mean it's better I can't see Of course, I don't mean that, <laughs> but it might be better sound-wise, Stuart. Go ahead.
7: Yeah, sure. Yes, my mother was killed um, with uh, diamorphine um, following a forged DNA. Um, talking about euthanasia, as the doctors would like us to talk about, as if it's a good death, there's nothing good about being given an, an opiate overdose. It suppresses the breathing. Effectively, you are suffocated. The other drugs, uh, like midazolam, um, haloperidol, and hyacin are used mainly for the people around the person's dying avoid noises like death rattle. And so it it, um, apparently um, just dries up the secretion. So when a person is desperately trying to breathe, um, you stop their muscles working. Um, I should explain that diamorphine was actually um, stopped from being used in 1924 in America for killing people because it was deemed to be inhumane. No now, way. When you gave your account earlier, you described pinpoint uh, pupils. That is a clear sign of an opiate overdose. And that's exactly the same that's happened with my my own mother. Um, but the doctors don't like to record that, and neither do the coroners, because that would then give an indication that there needed to be an inquest. And it's the very last thing that they want to do right now. Is so is
0: Stuart, do you think that they might be, in your mum's case, they might have given diamorphine, but they don't record that? Is that what you're telling us?
7: Well, they—they, they, I picked it up from the nurse that administered it. Um, she then uh, failed to tell the doctor at the time. Now, I should explain the other side effect and the other reason that it was barred from being used uh, for killing murderers in America, um, and that's what they're using on our elderly parents, um, is because it can put you into a coma. So one of the things you must do when somebody dies from being uh, injected with diamorphine is you must check that they're not in a catatonic state, they're not in a coma. But that didn't happen in my mother's case and in fact no doctor was called to see her for four days. How ill well so was your
0: mum, Stuart? How, how how did she end up in hospital in the first place? She, was, she No, well she
7: was actually in a care, in a care home. home. She was there on respite. And uh, they changed on the day that she arrived on the Friday from respite to end of life. They then forged a DNAR without either talking to my mother, who had capacity, or to myself. And in fact, it's recorded in the account given on oath to the coroner that they did not contact either the, the, the patient or the family. I thought that, that was
0: illegal. I thought that the the doctor in charge could not put a do not attempt to resuscitate order on anybody without the consent of the patient or the patient's next of kin. I thought they couldn't do that.
7: That exactly happened to my father as well. And they're doing it all over the place. You, you're quite right. The, the expression is informed consent. Half of that is that they explain to you why they need to do the DNA and request your consent, the second part being the consent. If they don't obtain the consent, it's not a lawful document. And But the doctors will sign that with a tick box. The, the new respect form actually just has a tick box. And the problem with that is that it means it's all in the say-so of the doctor, whether or not they've spoken to the patient and or the family. Uh, and or indeed con- obtain consent. You'll also find doctors who believe it's their decision at the end of the day, that's not true. If it's consent that's required, unless they get it, they shouldn't be allowed to um, continue. I should explain I've researched a better form of DNA, uh, sorry, DNAR form, do not actively resuscitate f- uh, form from California, where it has to be signed by the patient first and it can also, cru- crucially, it can be revoked as well. They wear a medallion, and at any time during the process, like, for example, the account that you gave, they would literally rip that medallion off them, and they, that would then take away the DNAR there and then. They right? also have to have a live copy of it behind, beside them at the bedside, and again, if they rip that document up, the DNAR is no longer voided, is no longer um, in, in
0: place. You... So, no, b- believe in what you believe happened to your mum. I, 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 none of us can imagine that. None of us who haven't gone through it. Um, they, didn't
7: contact, they didn't contact me. Um, and you're quite right in your discussion. You don't actually know when somebody's going to die unless you administer that dose. That's what Jackie my said, mother, yeah. My, my mother died at two hours, 52 minutes after being given. That, that is a classic example of dying from a diamorphine or an opiate overdose. It's pure heroin. And she, she was opiate naive, which obviously means that she never had these opiates before. Giving that to somebody like that is highly dangerous and will cause suppression of the breathing system. Stuart, there, so will, you- be,
0: there will be people listening to this. I know this. And they will absolutely, <laughs> flatly refuse to believe this is possible. Because what you're describing is a doctor knowingly injecting a patient with a med- with a medicine that that doctor knows is likely to hasten the end of their life. We're, we're talking we're talking crime watch stuff here. And people absolutely. listen to this will no, say... You're, you're
7: absolutely right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And it's worse because they gave a cocktail. And they only give the cocktail. I have spoken to um, Professor Policino, who is an expert in this. You only give the cocktail to finish somebody off. So if you give the joint midazolam, haloperidol and the diamorphine together, that is, the intention there is to kill them.
0: Many and years it, ago, Stuart, many, many, in this many years ago, I, I doing, doing radio back home, I interviewed doctors who, some of them are retired and anonymously, they said, look, over the years, we've had families that have been with us, with our practices for years, and sometimes somebody becomes gravely ill. Gravely ill, they maybe have incurable cancer. And at the very end, doctors have admitted this, and this won't come as any surprise to you. At the very end, Richie, we gave them a nudge. That was said no, to me uh, before.
7: I, I fully understand that position. Yeah. And when people are in incurable fa- pain, my mother was not an in incurable pain. Um, these people, uh, the people that have died during, under the pretense of COVID, are yeah. uh, uh, literally topped for want of a better word, murdered is is more accurate. Um, They have been finished off by the state, by administration of um, life-ending drugs. And the intention is to expedite their death. And if I told you that I listened to a House of Lords um, presentation with Lord Bethel and with uh, Dame Elora Finlay present, whereby they admitted that people would, guy that had another five years to live. But somebody had to make the decision and that decision was to be made by a doctor. 86% of the injections will be administered by a nurse and it can happen in a hospital or in a care home. And in the case of the care home, the nurse made the decision, never contacted a doctor, never contacted the hospital. She made the decision herself to terminate my mother's life.
0: What what would be in it for... The obvious questions are: I'll put these questions to you more than our, our other guests because you're a medical researcher, and I just want to listen to our other guests. And I want Jackie to jump in sure. anytime she wants as well. What's in it for them? Why would they do that? If I'm a doctor working,
7: there is a financial recompense. Um, there are CQIN payments, CQINS payments that are made by the government. Unfortunately, there are targets that are met. And Pockets holes taking the money are usually
0: those. Stuart, could you do me a favour? Could, could you do me a favour? Stuart, you, your line is becoming um, uh, difficult again. I, I was wondering if Stuart could disconnect and reconnect. That'd be really helpful. Can you do that, Stuart? It often clears out that fuzz on the line. If you could disconnect and reconnect. Um, Jackie set all this up, so I'm not in control of it. Um, I can't kick Stuart out and then invite him back, which is what I want to do. You're you're hearing some startling stuff here. I I know for some of our listeners, this won't be new to them. Uh, We've discussed this over the years. I mentioned the Liverpool Care Pathway earlier on. Jackie, recompense, money. It comes down to money for some of these people, Stuart reckons.
8: Yes, yeah, I have heard that, although I haven't looked into that that um, side of it yet, but that doesn't surprise me at
0: all. And what about nurses then? He, he said that nurses have, in some cases, in, in many cases, I think he said 60 or 70% of the time, he might have said more, Stuart, I'm trying to frantically write down figures. 86%. Oh, you're back and you sound great. So <laughs> why would that be the case, Stuart? Would that be because, because God love them, maybe the nurses just don't know what they're doing, maybe?
7: Um, well, they'll follow They'll follow the instruction of the men in white coat. We're going back to the Milgram studies. They, they believe that the doctors know best and that they are the they deity. But in this particular case with my mother, the nurse made the decision by themselves. And yes, they do get a payment. They're told that they are doing mercy killings. That's the expression. They use the word mercy killings, by the way.
0: But these are people that have a respiratory infection. And yes, it might be very bad for some of them. But given time... Um, these people should go on to make a full recovery.
7: There, there is a huge difference between people that are genuinely dying are in excruciating pain and doctors easing those. We have hospices for that, um, and that the hospice movement is, is rarely mentioned here. But what, what has happened here under the pretense of COVID is that people were removed from Hospitals from NHS hospitals. in waves. Tens of thousands of elderly people were taken out of the NHS um, in advance rooms. of the first wave, in advance of the second wave, and indeed in preparation for the third wave. They were removed out from getting any treatment from the NHS, so they didn't get access to oxygen, no. simply oxygen. And then, they were, if, if they had any further condition, they were then end of life. Um, anticipatory medicines,
0: they call this line is really bad. I'm, 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 this is killing me. I, there isn't anything I can do my end. Um, sadly, um, it isn't me, uh, here. I, I'm not in any way now trying to upset Stuart, it's not his fault either. Um, if but you want the, to talk
7: the to somebody else, I'll try and
0: disconnect. To do, somebody. do, Stuart Jackie, we're going to hear from 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 some, some ladies you introduced me to today. Yeah, w- we've w- got um,
8: um, Lorraine, um, I think she's joined in now. Can you hear us, Lorraine? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hey, there
0: you are. Hey, Lorraine, um, you're very welcome, by the way. Nice to meet you.
4: Hello, Richie. Thank you very much for having me.
0: No, it's an um, honour. It's an honour to, to, to have you on. And, um, and thanks for speaking out about it. I'm just going to get out of your way and you can have a chat. Jackie will join in and, and tell us your yeah. own experience, Lorraine.
4: Yeah. Um. It's. I, I don't know how long I've got. I know there's other people on here as well. All but, the
0: time you um, want. Look, if we have to go kind... past seven o'clock, we will go sorry. ahead. You've got all it the time starts you want.
4: from the beginning of last year when, you know, my suspicions were aroused and everything, um, right up until, you know, mum ended up in hospital and, and subsequently died. And I don't think she, she should have done. She should still be here. Um, so if I can just start, you know, at the very beginning where um, I got a phone call from her GP the beginning of last year talking about DNR straight away, do not resuscitate. And I thought that was just the most bizarre thing, you know, and I thought there was this deadly plague going on and that, you know, this is why I was being asked this sort of thing because a lot of what I've learned is now, you know, it's hindsight. And I look back and I can see that everything was so wrong. And, um, I said, no, I, I'm not putting a DNR in place for my mum. I'll cross that bridge if, and when I come to it and, um, okay, so, so so that was that. I started to get sort of really suspicious then, got really suspicious why they, they would be doing that. And I even revoked any DNR that was in place with her nursing home. I spoke to the manager and I said, I don't want any DNR. He stumbled over his words and he said, um, oh, uh, well, I'll just, I'll have to speak to the nurse about that. And I just, everything that went on was, I was really, really suspicious about. And It culminated in me, after mum died, believing that the nursing home, the GP and the hospital were all complicit in mum's death. Uh, Killing her, killing her, murder. I don't, you know, you can call it that if you like. I just think that that's what happened. Um, Because I was asked multiple times regarding DNR and each time I said no. I you know it was just ridiculous that, that that happened I emailed the surgery and asked if they had anything similar to the Liverpool care pathway in place and they denied it but I think they do I think they did and it's it what it's what happened to my mom um yeah she was it all started this on the 6th of January she was diagnosed um, with a third lateral flow test on that same morning the first two were negative yeah. and the third one was positive and she was diagnosed with COVID on a third LFT test and when I got to the nursing home that day because I was due to take her in fish and chips bless her and um and some drinks for the staff because I felt sorry for them going through all this you know anyway I was met in the car park by the nurse who I was so shocked. She led me to believe my mum was dying. She said, I'm not going to lie to you. Your mum is really ill um, and all this sort of thing. Um, and I was allowed in um, to see her. And that only happens if, you know, somebody is dying. And I said, I want an ambulance. She said, I wouldn't advise that because she could die in, in the ambulance on the way to the hospital or she could die waiting for a bed. Well, two weeks later when my mum did die in that COVID ward, there were three people in that COVID ward and all the nurses were standing around chatting. Oh, yeah. um, anyway, going back to it, um, the GP um, phoned me while I was there. She refused to come in. And I believe that a diagnosis had to be made with the GP um, for COVID. Um, uh, she wouldn't come in. She went in five days later and, um, so she never diagnosed her herself. My mum didn't have a cough. Um, she had a temperature for one day. A temperature for one day, because the nurse told me the next day it had gone, uh, and that was all she had. Mum was one of the fittest in her nursing home. She, she, she was in a dementia nursing home, but she was at the very, very beginning of her journey. So she only had mild cognitive impairment, and she was really, really clued up. Her memory was good. Everything. Um, anyway, um, the, I said to the GP. But what about antibiotics? Because I'd heard GPs had used antibiotics, even though it's a virus and you don't use antibiotics for viruses. But they've used them just in case it turns into bacterial um, pneumonia. And she refused that. Um, anyway, uh, the nurse by this time had gone off for the ambulance because I'd asked for an ambulance. Um and then I had to leave because my daughter, who's got special needs, was waiting in the car park in the car and I had to leave. I went straight to my friend's house and I was in pieces. I was in absolute bits thinking that my mum was dying, you know, and um, I got my friend to phone up. The G- She spoke to the GP. She spoke to the nurse. She spoke to um, the nursing, uh, the, the the lead, the head carer in the in mum's suite on the nursing home she spoke to all of those and um absolute lying about saying my mum was not responsive she said she didn't say that she said she was a bit sleepy and all this sort of thing so there was an awful lot of lies going on uh, on this conversation but I was in pieces and my friend is the only one who can talk about those conversations because she knows more about it than than I do um but you know I just don't believe for, for one minute my mum had COVID um so anyway I found out that then when she spoke to the GP that the GP had cancelled the ambulance she'd cancelled it and her reason for cancelling she said was that my mum's breathing wasn't compromised so she wouldn't allow her to go into hospital and she didn't go in and see my mum until five days later well anyway the next day my mum rallied a bit My mum rallied a bit and and I asked for a FaceTime meeting with her and she was with one of the carers called Karen and she spoke to me and she said she had had the vaccination because this was such a coincidence that this happened straight after the vaccine rollout. And um, she said that she had had the vaccine and that she had been violently sick and it had gone everywhere. Now, they're supposed to tell me with any incidents like that and they never told me, they never said a word about it. And it isn't until later on and I thought back and I thought, well, you know, she could have inhaled some of that vomit and that could have caused her, you know, the problems, you know, with um, because they said on her death certificate she died from pneumonitis. Um, so anyway, um that happened and I thought, oh, she'll start getting better now because she was able to speak to me. And so I spoke. Every single day on the nurse it, to the nursing home, every single day. And they said she was taking fluids and that she was weeing and all of these things they were telling me.
0: Positive things. For,
4: that, for the whole pattern?
0: Those were positive things to hear. She's drinking were, and she's yeah, going to the they loo. Positive yeah. things
4: to hear. Really, really positive. Two weeks later... Um, they stopped answering my phone calls, by the way. I kept c- calling and calling and they kept saying, she's asleep, she's asleep, she's asleep, she's asleep. And I managed to get one Zoom meeting with her, uh, with the entertainments manager, would you believe, administering to her. No way. Um, and she was asleep. Uh, there was just, there was nothing there. There was no no responding there at all. Anyway, two weeks later, um, another GP phones me and says, do you want an ambulance? I said, I wanted an ambulance two weeks ago. And she said, well, you know, I wasn't, she wasn't the GP that made that decision. She was, This was another GP. Because I refused to speak to that GP again because she was so rude to me on the phone. And so this is another one. And she's, and I said, yes, get my mum an ambulance. So she got her an ambulance. And we managed to get there. I just want to make sure I haven't missed anything out. She was asleep. Um, hang on.
0: Yeah, take your time, Lorraine. Take your time,
4: yeah. Yeah, I'm just wanting to rush because I know there's other people waiting. And I just, but I wanted to get all of this out. Um, so. No,
0: don't, yeah. don't, so don't rush. Don't at rush Oxford at all. At take your time. Around
4: 11.30 now. on the 18th of January. So this was two weeks later. And I was. Absolutely shocked to see my mum's mouth. It was absolutely covered in what they said was thrush. It was huge, round, white, ulcer-looking things inside her mouth, which I now know was severe dehydration. So they lied to me about her fluid intake. She hadn't been taking fluids. We tried to give her a cup of um, a sip of tea or a sip of water. She couldn't take it. She just couldn't. She couldn't do it, and she choked. So she couldn't do it. And anyway, we were there um, for a short while. It wasn't long. So she didn't have to wait, like the nurse said in the ambulance. And she didn't have to wait to get onto a ward. She was taken. And I thought, yes, I was so relieved. My mom is going to be helped now. She's going to be helped. They're going to put her on a drip. They're going to rehydrate her. And she will be helped because she's in good hands. And I went home feeling quite relieved. And then... I was absolutely shocked the next morning to be called in to say mum had deteriorated and that I was to come in. My friend posed as my sister and we went into the COVID ward where there were all of three people, including my mum, nurses standing around chatting. We were told there was no hope for mum and a syringe driver was already in place at the top of her right leg. And I asked why. And the doctor said it was my dazolam and morphine to make her more comfortable and, I saw, and no, sorry, mid, yeah.
0: Mid, mid, so they said, they, so they had the, the, the syringe there, they had the, the IV line, and they said, midazolam and morphine to make her more comfortable. That's what That's they yes. said
8: a to you. Um a euphemism, actually, um, yeah, Richie. Um, yeah. to, to, if you write on, if a doctor writes that on someone's notes, make them comfortable, that generally means putting in a syringe driver with like a killer cocktail in it.
4: Yeah. And, that, and that's what they had in there, my Dazalan and morphine, because I asked specifically. I didn't see any evidence of her struggling to breathe before this. The, the doctor must, while we were there, and we were there from 11 o'clock in the morning and we didn't go until half past six in the evening when she died. And the doctor must have administered three to four shots while we were there. She kept coming back and giving her more. Mm. And mum was... Would be holding her arms out. She held her arms out on a couple of occasions. And then on the, the last shot that she gave her, her eyes flew open and looked at me. Her eyes absolutely flew open and looked at me. And it was like she was saying to me, what have you done to me? I'll never, ever, ever in all my life forget that look on my mom, my mom's face when she looked at me after that last shot that they gave her. Because apart from that, she was just like unconscious throughout. She didn't open her eyes. She didn't do anything until that last shot, and then they flew open. And then she's. We Lorraine, can I, there in, a can I come in? Can I come in? Can I come in for a
0: second, Lorraine? Let me come back in for a second. When mm-hmm. when they when when you go in, you were shocked to be called in the following morning. You're thinking she's in the right place now. Thank God she's going to be looked after. So they call you in. And they say yep. to you, she's deteriorated very badly. Now, you're obviously an articulate and a bright woman. So you asked the question that everybody would ask, what's wrong with her? What, what do you mean she's deteriorating? What's wrong? What, what, what answers did you get?
4: They said They said that it was her lungs. Her lungs were too bad. They were just too bad and they couldn't do any more. And yet I had no evidence of any cough, any difficulty breathing, no nothing. And they told me it was her lungs, that they were too bad and they, they couldn't do any more. They'd given her steroids. That was the, another thing. They'd given her steroids and it didn't work. Um, but I didn't see that she was on any drip or anything like that to help her. I I, I wanted her notes. I, I mean we're talking a couple of weeks later now after my mom died and I wanted her notes and because I had time to calm down because I was in a terrible state I was in a really really bad state and I wanted to calm down and then I thought I want an inquest so I phoned up the hospital and said I want an inquest and they said we'll get someone to call you and a Dr Williams called me from Worthing Hospital which is where my mum died he called me and he said a special job had been created for him for people like me who were wanting inquests because they felt the same way as I did that something wasn't right so he had been given a specific job he was an independent medical uh, consultant and he'd been given a a a specific job to do this and he assured me that my mum was given a PCR test when she arrived at the hospital don't know what um, cycle it was on because now I know you know we all know things in hindsight now I know that uh, 40 what was it a a cycle of 40 something they were using in, in one particular hospital where anything comes up positive and they should be using 2025 20, yeah, amplification no, no cycles. More, no,
0: no more so, than that. Yeah. So
4: anyway, they they said that they'd given her one and that it was positive for COVID. That's what he said. And I was there right from the beginning when she arrived at the hospital and I didn't see them give her a test. They must have given it to her on the ward then because they certainly didn't give it to her when I was standing there. And, um, and do so you feel, so that,
0: Lorraine, do you feel that the, the gentleman who... Was, was was phoning around people or was introducing himself to people. Was he there to steer you away from any talk of an inquest?
4: Yes, he was. He right. definitely was. And because I didn't know what I know now, um, he said, because on the death, he changed the death certificate. On the death certificate, it said pneumonitis. And he said, my mum definitely had COVID because then he told me that there was a positive PCR test. Um, which I didn't know about. And he said that he would change the death certificate to say COVID pneumonitis. Um, And I said, well, you know, if she had COVID, then she had COVID. But I learned all these things afterwards. So I would have have said, no, I want an inquest if I'd have known what I know now. But I didn't. And that is the horrible thing that I just didn't know enough. I didn't have enough information to be able to stand my ground. And so... He changed that death certificate from pneumonitis, and I know now that inhaling vomit, you can get pneumonitis from inhaling vomit. And my mum was violently sick that they never told me about, so she, it could have been it could have been aspiration pneumonia, or it could have been something like that you know, but I don't believe for one second that it was COVID. I can don't I, believe she had I, can it Can I ask you
0: second. this? I, I meant to uh, put this to Stuart because we heard from Stuart Wilkie earlier. Stuart will come back in at some stage. We are going to hear yeah. from other family members now in a moment and you're going to stick around as well, Lorraine. Uh, everybody yeah. will be screaming obviously at their devices. However they're listening to this, they'll be saying, okay, so the inquest, but what about autopsies? Why hasn't Stuart's mum had an autopsy? Why hasn't Lorraine's mum had an autopsy. At the very least, yeah. surely families can do that.
4: Yeah, I think in an emergency situation, so I've read, like the government says that we're in, they don't have to do autopsies if it's COVID. Yeah. I looked
8: into that actually, Richie. It's quite interesting because I don't know if you remember when uh, COVID was um, was deemed to be a, a, a not a high consequence disease back in March 2020. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, why are they, why are they um, announcing that just days before they, they're saying there's a massive um, pandemic going on? And I couldn't work it out. But I think now, if, if it was listed as a high-consequence disease, I think anyone who has a high-consequence disease, has, there has to be an autopsy. They did, the government didn't want autopsies. So therefore, they had to list it as a, not a high-consequence disease. That's a very
0: disease. interesting theory, Jackie, if you're right. Yeah. That's very fear, interesting, fear, yeah. I don't know, no, you no, know. You, I, listen, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not, you know, slapping you down. I'm not doing that. I, I'm just saying, because yes, we all do remember, mean. we all remember when it was downgraded from being a highly consequential infectious disease. And of course, you, you imagine when that happens, well, forget about this nonsense lockdown. Forget about these, uh, you know, restrictions. But of course, the restrictions and, and the lockdowns got worse. You you might very well be on to, to something there.
8: What other, what other reason could it be? Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, well, why Why no autopsies? Why, why no post-mortems?
0: Can I just remind our listeners, that, that's Jackie Devoy, who's a, a journalist and a friend of mine and has written for every paper in the country and has supplied stories to every paper in the country. And until March 2020, Jackie Devoy didn't have too many problems getting her stories in the papers uh, in this country, but it's become very difficult in, in, in the last uh, 12 uh, months or so. Jackie's been speaking to Lorraine and to Stuart and to, and, and to the other people we're going to hear. From today, who believe that essentially, uh, it's dreadful to be saying this. They believe that their loved ones were basically unlawfully killed in care homes yeah. and in hospitals, and uh, euthanized effectively when they could quite easily have recovered um, from 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 whatever they had, whether it was pneumonia or uh, bronchial issues or pleurisy or COVID or whatever. That they were, their 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 death was hastened. Uh, it's dreadful. People are tweeting. You should see the Twitter hundreds and hundreds of tweets are coming in and harold every every time it's
8: mentioned you know that you get this kind of response because it's sort of thing that you don't it doesn't really cross your mind and it was only two weeks ago after nearly a year of researching this that i it suddenly dawned on me that's what happened to my mum
0: that's what happened to you and And she
8: died years ago it never crossed my mind until two weeks ago so it's only when you hear other people speaking you think hang on a
0: minute and you've had hundreds of Contacts from people. You know, the name Harold Shipman is being mentioned over and over again on Twitter. And for people who don't, I'm not going to, Harold Shipman, they don't get more evil. I mean, he was a Nazi. Uh, You you can look him up. Um, He was the doctor who murdered his patients. Wow. This is horrendous stuff, Jackie. But we're going to hear from from, from some more people. Lorraine, stick around, by the way. Don't go anywhere. Yeah, I
4: will. Thank you very much for listening to me.
0: Not at all. Not at all. Jackie.
4: So, um,
8: are you ready for the next person?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
8: We've got Nicola. Can you hear us, Nicola? I think she needs to switch something on, maybe.
0: Yeah, the mic might be muted there.
8: Yeah, if you can hear, I don't know. It, it does happen.
0: are uh, you doing, Nicola? Are, are you with us?
8: No, we've not got her yet. So, um, but um, I can tell you a bit about her. Um, her dad died in hospital last year, last June and he'd been given midazolam the day before he died and and two hours before he died. So um, she can tell the whole story when she comes on. Absolutely. Uh, otherwise, we've got Anna and Michelle. Can Anna hear us? Hello. Yes, we oh,
3: can hello. hear you. Hi.
8: Oh, Anna, how are you doing, Anna? Uh, how are you doing, uh, Michelle?
9: Advocating for Michelle, Michelle's uh, Mi- mother. Michelle's here, by the way. She's here oh, to talk to you. I'm just sitting next to her, so she's going to say I'm hi. I'm here. Hi.
0: Michelle, um, you're very welcome. How are you doing, Anna, by the way? Welcome I, to the programme. I'm
9: fine. I'm here to just to support my my good friend Michelle here, and she's. I'm going to leave her to tell you the story. So, What else you know. are friends
0: for? What else are friends for? Thanks,
9: Anna.
0: <laughs> I know. Absolutely. Oh, it's
3: been amazing. Uh, I don't know where to start. <laughs> Um, my mum was taken into hospital in November, uh, sorry, <laughs> I started already, um, in November, and um, with, she had COPD, um, she w- was having a bad time breathing, they took her in. Because it was floorboards to be taken up. Weren't yeah, they, you and worried. then um, they rang my dad like an hour later and said, has your wife ever been in intensive care? My dad said no, they said we'll stay by the phone because she's critical. And that was the last we heard. And then we waited till the next day. Um, no one had phoned us. And we rung up to see what was going on. And all they kept saying was she was stable. But they asked us what was my mum's or my, my, they asked my dad, what was your wife's uh, wishes? So what do you mean? They said about uh, resuscitating. they said, absolutely, you fight to the bitter end. I said, well, um, OK. And then they came back to us and said that they would not resuscitate my mum if anything was to happen to her. But your mum was only young, wasn't she, Michelle? She was sixty-eight, yeah. Yeah. And um,
9: and the COPD she's had it, she lived with it for over ten years. Yeah, 10, she just had years.
3: a blue pump and a steroid pump that she used every now and again. She didn't use it all the time and she was able to walk around. Sometimes she struggled depending on the weather. Um, but, but she
9: wasn't ill, was yeah, she? No, they, it's just, just the, because of the dust, irritated.
3: The, yeah, yeah, they pulled the floorboards up. My brother and my dad was decorating, and she was stubborn and wouldn't go upstairs. And then she said to my dad, "She's always said if I have tr- struggle, if I struggle breathing, then and I need an ambulance. Get me an ambulance." So they called an ambulance. The ambulance came. She got the oxygen, and then she sent them on their way. And then she calmed down a bit. Didn't she, she calmed yeah. down, and then she had a bad time again. Uh, 10 minutes later, and she said, get me the ambulance. The ambulance came, and they said that the dust in the house was really bad. So that's when they took her into hospital. And then, as I said, we were waiting for the uh, doctors to get back with us, to us, and nobody got in contact. And I kept leaving it to my brother to ring. And all they kept saying is she was stable. All over the weekend, she was stable. And then I phoned on the Monday. Actually, I got Anna to ring on the Monday and said... If she comes, because they put her in induced coma as well, straight away, apparently. Um, and I sit, said, if she comes round and my dad's not there when she wakes up, she will stress out. She had one him there. And um, so she, my dad needs to be there. And they were like, don't worry, we understand. it will be fine. Don't, please don't worry. Just left it. And then by the night, my brother had rung. They just said she was stable. And then by the night time, we were like disagreeing on it. I said, what do you mean by stable? What, you know, what are they doing to her? anyway I rung up late in the evening and they said um, I'm really sorry, I said no one's rung us, we're doing the phone call you know we, all we hear is my mum's stable but when you told us that she was critical when she went in and they said um, I'm really sorry to hear that but your mum's okay, she's awake but she can't talk because she's on a ventilator um. and I was like oh and I was like dad quick speak, mum can hear you and she said oh your mum's waving And I know my mum, she wouldn't have been waving. She most probably was saying, get this out of my mouth. You know, I want to speak. And I was like, OK. And they said, look, your mum's doing OK, but she's got this ventilator. She just can't talk to you. But we're trying to set up a video cam so you can see your mum. And I was like, all right then. So the next day I phoned up to see how mum was doing. And um, they said, I'm really sorry, but your mum took a turn for the worst. um, And we had to put her back in induced coma so they put her back in induced coma, this went on for however long and then quite a lot and then but we managed to get to the hospital, they called us up about a week after she'd gone in and they said we need to see you so we went up there me and my brother, I've got two brothers but one of them didn't come and my dad and they said that um, uh, your wife's really not good and there's not much more we can do to her for her and we um, think you should turn the machine off but you know we've got 365 days in the year there's no hurry and my dad asked when and he carried on chatting and my brother asked, and I said when are you thinking of doing this and he said oh tomorrow at 12 o'clock I was like no way I said I can't do that I cannot turn this machine off I said I need to find get my other brother to come and see my mum as well so we got much he said okay left me there in the room with my dad and brother he said um So we got my other brother, he went up there, and my dad walked in and he said, Chris, you know, it's Barry, you know, can you hear me? And um, she opened her eyes. And my brother looked, he's like, she's waking up. She looked round at my brother, and my dad said, there's no way we're turning this machine off. So we went home. They wanted to get the palliative care involved. And then we went home. And the next day at half 10, they rung us up and said, I thought you was coming to the hospital to turn the machine off. I said, no, we're not turning that machine off. I said, my mum's still got life in her. She woke up yesterday and there's no way we're turning that machine off. And he said, well, you don't want me to get the legal team involved, do you? I said, well, you can get what you like, but there's no way we're turning that machine off. I said, my mum would not do it to run of us so I'm not doing it to her and that was that and then um and then they did
9: take the thing off didn't they well then then it
3: was a couple my mum came around I said well no they said what do you expect us to do I said we'll take her out sedation slowly turn down the ventilator and my mum will start breathing on her own and he was like no 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 um we've got to have other plans I said I'm telling you just turn the ventilator down and my mum and take her out sedation Anyway, it, w- this went on for quite a while. We was able to go up and see her every now and again. Every time we was in the hospital, like got to go up the hospital, they were like, you- "Can you come up in the afternoon?" And mum seemed to be okay, but every time we got there, she was drugged up, and she was away with the fairies. And you know, they then they said that we're going to take the ventilator off. They then took the ventilator off eventually, and she was fine. She was doing absolutely fine with this mask on. She um, and then after, an oxygen mask, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then after two or three days, they started to drug her up again, and she again was away with the fairies. And they said, and. I was checking that they hadn't put anything on my mum because they, could, you know, wanted to um, ask us to turn the machine off. Um, one Michelle, can I ask you this?
0: this... My, my apologies for jumping in. Yeah. Because um, you've explained it, I, I totally understand the timeline. When when you say that they were drugging drugging her up, were they keeping you informed as to? What they were giving your mum and why they were giving it to her—that's very important. No,
3: all they kept saying is they're trying to make my mum comfortable, um, but they, they never explained anything to us. And then you know, discovered the patch, and then I discovered this fentanyl. They said my mum was had been sick in the night and that she's got twelve to seventy-two hours to live, and I—I I noticed this patch on her arm and it said fentanyl. So I go home and I googled it, and it said anyone with COPD could be detri- it could kill them yeah. within twelve to seventy-two hours. So I ring up i said get that off my mum i know what you're trying to do to her you're killing her off no we give it to all our patients i said my mum's not all your patients my mum's got copd my dad had to go up there at 11 o'clock at night and wait till 12 o'clock to get this patch t- taken off they took it off and then they took it they said the next day there's they're taking her out of intensive care and they put her on the eighth floor um we go down there Are she's we obliged to say what hospital by the way no no better better um, better
0: not for the, being, yeah. Yeah, for the time being yeah let's not and then, say, yeah and
3: um, we we went to I went to see my mum. I go in with my dad and my mum's just staring at the ceiling she's in a room on her own um no we was in there for 15 minutes no one had come in this room I was talking to my mum was not with it and then the next day because they said that my mum was going to die my husband said I want to go and see your mum because only my brothers and my dad have been to see her so I said okay so I ring up the said, I'm really sorry, we've moved your mum out of that room on her own because we had a COVID patient in there and we've moved her in with other people, which I was quite happy with anyway, because there was life in there. So um, my husband went up to see her. My mum hadn't been speaking that much either. And my husband went to see her and he said, your mum's like doing really well. She's talking. She got up. She grabbed my hand. And, and I was like, "Really?" Tea, didn't you? yeah. And then I was like really shocked. And then I went up to see her and my dad went in to see her. We had to go in one at a time. I went in. My mum pulled her nightie down a little bit. And I said, what are you doing? They told us we weren't allowed to feed my mum. We weren't allowed to give her any water or food because it could go into her lungs. So mum done a hand signal that she wanted water. And I said, oh, mum, they said we're not allowed to feed you. And she screwed her face up like, what, you want on back? She had a mask, the mask on all the time. So I said, I'll get the sponge and I'll do that. So I did that. And then I walked out and I said to the nurse, so what's the next stage then? And she said, well, um, I'm really, uh, your mum took her NIP drip out, and we're not replacing it. I said, what's that then? She said, a feeding tube. I said, what? I said, now you're going to starve my mum to death." And they said, "Well, sorry. Normally, at the end of life, this is what happened. they pull it out." I went off to tell my dad and my brother what had happened. Normally,
0: we- at the end of life. Oh, I
3: can't yeah. Believe it. And then um, I. So I didn't think my mum was dying, you know. Like I thought my mum was getting better. She come out of uh, the uh, the intensive care unit. She was on the eighth floor, and then I, when I got my dad, we called the doctor. The doctor said, "I'm sorry, we've got." It, it was it was awful. We were arguing with them. You've got to put that back in my mum. They were like, "No, we're not doing it." And then my dad went mad, and I said, "Sorry, I said it looks like dad's gonna have heart attack in a minute." Um, sorry and um oh, sorry. so anyway they went out The he went out the room and my brother said calm down he said um we've got to get them put this back in mum's in mum into mum mm. and i gotcha. said jay i said to my brother are you recording this he said yeah and as soon as they knew we were recording it they went sit down calm down So we'd record every conversation just so that we could go back on it in case we forget what they said and my brother said, yeah. And they're like, OK, we're going to go back. We're going to put that back in your mum. But if she pulls it out again, we're not going to re- be replacing it. So I was like, OK. So I went back. I said, Mum, we've got to do this. And she said no. And then she's like, OK, she did it. They, put a, they took my mum out of that room that I told you about earlier. But they said it was for a COVID patient. I walked past that room. That door was open. And I said to the lady, you lied to me because you said you moved my mum out for a COVID patient. Why was that door open? When we was in that ward, there was uh, meant to be the height of the COVID thing. There was only four patients with COVID because I see it on a board
9: in a major London hospital as well.
3: And then, um, and then I, I uh, so they put it back in my mum the uh, tube. But little did they know we were feeding my mum. We started to give my mum tea and trifle and water, and she drank loads and she was she was loving. But I, we called the palliative care and like to get my mum home because someone said ring that get them and they will get her home and then we could see what drugs they're giving her so called palliative care and they come up and they said no worries don't worry we're going to give her this thing and this will enhance her lungs little did I realize it was amoxicodine and oxycodone no demasalan mm- and moxicodone and yeah. um, and we noticed that the patch had been put back on my mum's arm as well. The, f- the fentanyl,
0: the fentanyl patch
3: yeah. thing. Yeah, the fentanyl patch was back on my mum three days before she died. And my brother went in and he, my mum said, what's that? And he went, mum, it's a patch. And he said, you know, you've got this on your leg as well. And she said, get it off. Um, we called the nurse in and my brother said, my mum wants this removed. And they said, no worries. They took the patch off and he went, and this on the bottom of her leg. And the lady said, can you be quiet because if you carry on I'll get you kicked out of this hospital I'll get you barred from here. and um, my brother went mad and my mum said calm down calm down and they we were just
9: threatening to remove the family because they asked them to remove you the device questions. that they didn't want to have on yeah. yeah that was administering poison basically
3: and they and um they went out of the room uh, anyway they left the device on and it wasn't, my mum was been drinking, she was talking, you know, she worked, she was getting, you know, I said, you're going to fight it, mum. She's like, yeah. And then one, you know, my dad gave her tea at 12 o'clock at night and he said, I'm going to go now, love, I'll see you tomorrow. The next day my dad went there and she was alcohol, whacked out, no life in her whatsoever. And
9: you noticed the the, the thing on her The
3: driver, when it, when they put, first put it in, they put 2.5 of each one. And by the time she died, it went up. To seven point five of each one was in her leg, um, and then um, I said to the, I didn't know what was going on, and she was whacked out. And my dad said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna take her home today. When she comes round, I'm gonna take her home. I don't care. I'm not. I've had enough of this hospital." And then by the, I went home, and at ten to four we got a a letter to say uh, sign this. So I said, "Dad, make sure you sign that. Like read it properly." And it was about getting her home. If she was gonna die, she would die at home because that's what she wanted we signed it at 10 to 4 i went home i come back at half past 7 that she night noticed it was dated it was date, only the yeah, yeah it was dated the day before um, and then um, i went home i came back and my mum's head was down i said dad lift her up cuz she can't like, her airway so her oxygen was dropping and we lifted her up so she could breathe a bit more And um, I I said, she's hot under the armpit, but cold on the hands. So I called the nurse in, and the nurse said, "Um, hold on, I'll go and get somebody. And another lady came in and she said, um, they said that they were going to get my mum's oxygen level down before from 15 to 10. And then when they get to six, you can come home. And they did that the day before. They got it down to 10, and she was coping okay. She'd had the mask off a couple of times. And then um, this day, uh, the nurse the next day uh, this day the lady came in she said you do know about the plan didn't you i went plan and my face must have said it all and I, I was like oh yeah and i was trying to bluff him i said oh yeah the um you know yeah we're going to get the oxygen down from 15 to 10 8 and then she'd come home and she shot out of that room she went i'm gonna go and get a doctor and this filipino nurse was standing there twiddling her fingers i said so what's the plan then because there's obviously a plan and we don't know about it she said I know there's a plan, but I'm not in a position to tell you I'll go and get a doctor. And she run off out the room. I looked across the bed to my dad. I said, what's the plan? And then I run out after the nurse and the nurse was hiding in a room or looking scared, twiddling her fingers and then looked round and see me come out and spoke to the matron. And the matron came over and she said, did you speak to the doctor today? I said yeah, but he hadn't. I spoke to this doctor earlier in the day, and he'd been complaining that me and my brother had been on the phone, and he had to deal with everyone today. And I said, you've only had to speak to me and my brother because my dad doesn't know what to say or how to cope with it. And it, I said to him, my mum, my mum, when she, um, when I was she, they were starving her. My mum said, get me out of this hospital because it's all about money. They're trying to kill me off. And I was like, oh, mum, you know, I, she knew, she knew that that's what they were doing all right it's all All right right. but um and then the nurse um this lady come over she said do um did the doctor not tell you anything i said no i spoke to the doctor today she said well i'm sorry to tell you but your mum's dying tonight and she died at one o'clock in the morning i'm sorry they told us half past nine and she passed away at one o'clock in the morning um, but they didn't ever tell us that they what their plan was to, you
9: know. There was to... no consent, no information about what they were giving her or anything. And it was when you asked the nurse, didn't you, to write down what was I, it? Was I it asked a... her to write and what it was she was giving her. Pa- Midazolam.
3: And, and lots
0: yeah, Michelle, can I ask? Um, can I ask you this? Yeah. When, when you were, it's so. It's bizarre to hear somebody tell you that they were slipping their mother cups of tea and bits of things to eat. Yeah. Uh, it's bizarre. I don't, I do As not And she said at
3: one point, didn't she, your mum said, oh, that's lovely. It's a lovely cup of tea. A man, the man who comes round to bring the food round, he said, um, uh, he goes, oh, what, what's your wife having to my dad? And my dad said, oh, she's not allowed to eat. And he said, but there's no nearby by mouth. But they told us she was not allowed to eat or drink anything because it could go into her lungs. So, but my mum, my mum asked for a burger. My brother was leaving, and uh, my brother said, um, "Did you get a burger?" No, I he said, um, "Mum, he go, I'm going to get McDonald's." She said, yeah. "I want McDonald's," and my brother said, "No, mum, you can't have it." She hadn't eaten for seven and a half weeks because she'd been in the coma, and
0: yeah.
3: you know, she hadn't he had any comas.
0: food. Can I can, can I, I can I just mention why I brought you back to that? Uh, yeah, the, re- the, the reason I brought you back to that was because. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned about the induced comas and, she, she, you know, obviously that, that's a very b- bad way to be. But, but then she comes out of that. And mm. f- for me, and I, I don't have a clue, I don't I know nothing about medicine. If your mum wanted a cup of tea and wanted something to eat and if she was, you know, gagging for a burger, to me, mm. that's not somebody that's in a lot of discomfort. So what, yeah. I, want, what I would do want do to know is, if she's not in any pain, what would you be giving her then?
3: Yeah, that's well, that's what I kept saying. It? And my dad kept saying, uh, love yeah. you, in pain. And she's like, sh- screwing her face up. No. And also, you, she, if, you, if you were that poorly, you wouldn't even have an
0: appetite.
9: No, but no she was wouldn't. obviously...
3: She, she wanted to have a burger. So well, she was obviously. eating trifle burgers. She was drinking uh, Coke. They didn't know any of this. We never told them, them that we were giving in, it. You? Yeah, my dad kept watching round at the door, and she said, "Oh, well, you know, yeah. she, well, you've yeah. always been a bottle of." Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she, you know, she, she had life in her, but. You know, I, as my mum said, it was all—it's all about money. And to them, my mum was a waste of their money because her lungs were damaged. You know, so the she needed oxygen—that's all she needed.
0: I've looked this up, she she had COPD, I've, yeah. lo- I've looked this up and what, what from what I can understand, again this is just a little bit of research, that with your mum having a reaction to the dust in the house, the thing mm. to do would have been to give your mum steroids but also to give her maybe, even maybe even a strong antihistamine, anything like yeah. that, you know. But, no. but, but, but They to put her
9: straight on a, a ventilator, on a ventilator. In, a co- in a coma, that's what they did. Uh, or with all intent, I think it was, for, and you got the call, didn't you? But the, the, the second day, of what were you, what, your well, yeah. mum's what Wish, last, last wishes. wishes? So obviously from day one of being in hospital, they knew exactly what they were going to do. That was the, that was the intent. And, and, it, I, and I think they took advantage of you as well because
3: they could see that uh, you well, we just didn't, know, didn't what know what they were up to. Yeah. You put your trust into an NHS hospital, mm. you would expect them to help your mum, not kill your mum an off. Not lying what, was, do- um,
0: what, was the, what was listed on the death certificate?
3: It just said COPD um, uh, and that she had a fatty liver, non-alcoholic uh, res- result, nothing they else on it. taking COVID tests. Yeah, it, oh, yeah well, well the, They kept saying that my mum, uh, they're testing my mum for COVID in like three times. I said, I don't care how, how many times you test my mum. My mum doesn't go out. So there's no way that she's got COVID. And they said, Well, we just got to test it. I said, you, Don't ever come back and tell me my mum's got COVID because I know she I hasn't. Know she so, you know, they did, lucky they didn't come back and say that.
0: Michelle, before yeah. we, before we oh, bring well. in, and I want you to stick around as well, before we bring in Anna, if Anna is around, before we bring her yeah, in, she's yeah. here. Anna's here. Um, great, Anna. Um, I'm mixing Anna up because there is another caller, isn't there? Yeah, Nicola, have... Nicola. Nicola, Nicola. Nicola. Excuse me. Before we before mm. we hear from Nicola, um, have you and your family tried to take this further somehow? Have you looked into what you might be able to do to get answers about your mum? Well,
3: I think well, that's this is what we're doing now I mean, because I can't. My mum said. To, my mum even said before she said, "Go to the press. They're trying like, to kill me off." When she two days before she died. She she actually said it, and that's why I can't just sit back and let it happen. And
9: that's why I'm helping Michelle because um, I've had uh, experience with legal challenges from because I've got a disabled son. So, um, I, but this is completely in a different area to me. So, but I, I stumbled across uh, uh, Gareth Ike and I uh, saw um, you know Jackie's uh, interview, and I was so like overwhelmed. I had to get in touch. And it's just, it's just, you know, it's a snowball. And obviously, when I saw the extent of this scandal, mm. it's just
3: unbelievable. I just can't tell you how mm. I You never know from, the, until it's my too late, do you? Yeah, you know, exactly. you never see anything like this. You never imagine it to happen. And then once it's happened, it's in your face all the time. There's yeah, you so see many it people. And that's
9: what, yeah. And I, I'm hoping, well, not hoping, I mean, we, we don't wish it to be a lot of people out there, but we, we want to reach out to as many as possible. So
3: it never happens again. Uh, so it
9: never happens again. And, and to hold these
3: people responsible for what they've done, because they knew exactly what they were doing. And yeah, them, me, the, the palliative things. care come in on the morning and he touched my mum's toes and he said to my dad, oh, good pulse. They didn't tell us what they were feeling her toes for. You know, and now my dad's like, now I know what he was doing, you know, touching her toes to see if she's how long she's got really. Yes, seeing the circulation. Do me a Mm. favor,
0: can you stay there, uh, the two of you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I really hope yeah. I'm We're hoping that Stuart yeah. will stay there because at the end, w- once we've heard from Nicola, we can I'll make sure that you all get you know another chance to to say something that maybe you might have forgotten to say or you wanted to say, Jackie. I, lis- listening to um to to everybody so far this evening, I'm reminded of a book that I used to read when I was younger, and I used to read my mum's books. My mum used to read Michael Crichton, and yeah. he, he wrote a book called Coma, which was about you know reasonably. Yeah healthy people going into hospital and never coming out. And this, yeah. it sounds like fiction, this. And I know that I've been I've been a journalist as long as you have. And you know when you're being spoofed by people. Yeah. And you know when people are telling you the truth. And I know that we're being told the truth by the people we've heard from tonight. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm stunned this is going on, Jackie. It's like well, fiction, this.
8: What, what, what just stuck in my head there listening to Michelle was when um she had the call and uh, and. She was told to come in, and they said, "Your your mum will be dying we'll tonight." Will be dying tonight. That, were they the words, Michelle? I think they were the words. Um, so that, that yes, well, they yeah, they
3: were the words. When, yes. Well, when I asked them what was going on with my mum, and they actually said, "I'm sorry to tell you, I thought the doctors tell would have told you, but your mum's passing tonight." And then I had to get my brothers up the hospital. Now nobody know? knows, nobody knows when someone else
8: is going to die
3: unless no. they actively, you know. Yeah be killed and you off. said how do you
9: know she's going to die tonight why didn't you tell me but they like minutes past that an hour or something you know how... and every
3: time we t- also we that driver we always kept looking at it because we didn't have a clue what it was and someday as I said it was 2.5 when it started and it went up and up and every time we touched it someone come in the room and they wrote on their glove and now I think did they think we were tampering with it going to turn it off we yeah. didn't know what was you going on But every single time one of us, me, my brothers or my dad touched it, someone would come in that room and write something on the glove. I said, why do you keep writing on your glove? Are we just checking how much left in it? Yeah. So. They knew
9: exactly, because drivers work automatically their infusion of a, of a, of a liquid into, yeah. you know, so you don't have to keep administering yeah. a You wouldn't a, have a, to you know, do a, it. Stay there, stay there we'll
0: anyway. And, the I'm, run I'm, run I'm, and I'm hoping that Lorraine is still there as well. I meant to mention. I am, Lorraine. yeah. So, so hang in there. We're going to hear from Nicola. Let me just do a very quick summary there. It's 22 minutes to... 7 o'clock, I think, or 21 minutes to 7 o'clock. This is Thursday's Richie Allen Radio Show live from Salford. Uh, My great pal, Jackie Devoy, who's a terrific writer and uh, has written for and supplied stories to the newspapers in this country for a long time, Um, has been on the trail of this story for about nine or ten months now. And that is that evidence is, well, overwhelming, it seems to me, that people are dying unnecessarily in hospitals and they're dying because their lives are being ended by the doctors and nurses that are charged with looking after them. At the very beginning of this Jackie brought this back to a conversation between the health secretary Matt Hancock and the conservative MP Dr Luke Evans last year. They discussed how to use certain medicines to give covid patients a good death. He meant euthanasia. Jackie's followed the purchase of a massive supply of midazolam from a French supplier which 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 is very significant to the story we're telling. And um, Jackie's been inundated. Uh, she spoke to a- another friend of hers, Gareth Ike, last week on Gareth's podcast on Iconic. And since then, uh, with Gareth obviously been very well known, since then uh, many more people have come to get in touch with Jackie to say, look, I think this may have happened to my relative, to my mum or, or to my dad. Uh, it's great work, Jackie. It's very grim and it's dreadful to hear these stories. And I do mean that from the bottom of my heart. It's um, awful yeah, to hear it. I'm just hear it but in my eyes, but it's important. It's important that that we do it. Um, you're going to introduce Nicola. Yeah, we've
8: got Nicola now. Are you there, Nicola? Nicola. <laughs> she said she's sorted out her microphone now. But um, if she hasn't yet, then Nicola, you have to just tap the little mic icon. If we can't get Nicola, we can, we've got Stuart ready to come back on. We have indeed. There? And just yeah.
0: be, just before Stuart comes back in you can tweet Jackie is very easy to find on Twitter it's Jackie underscore Devoi and Jackie is a diva so she spells Jackie J-A-C-Q-U-I what's that all about and devi is D-E-E-V-O-Y uh, top journalist Jackie underscore Devoi I'm BBG Richie uh, we, we have honest to God we've had hundreds and hundreds of tweets it's affecting a lot of people um, so I'm while we be- wait for Nicola
8: I think we've got Nicola uh, now. We've we got
0: Nicola now. There'll be plenty of time for everybody else to come back in yeah. later on. Nicola, welcome to the programme. No, we haven't. We haven't. <laughs> all right, back to Let's Stuart. bring Stuart back in then. Stuart, you've been yeah. listening to all of this, um, obviously, intently, and I'm sure you've got um, more to contribute.
7: Well, I've been listening with absolutely tears in my eyes because, um, um, unfortunately, the whole thing was predicted Um, that this would happen. It was predicted in April 2017, when the government did exercise Cygnus. Now, uh, this was a pre-pandemic run-through that was done uh, three days, the 18th, 19th and 20th of October 2016, and the basis was that um, if we had a SARS-2 type COVID or respiratory condition from the east, how would we cope with it here in the UK? and they identified the lack of critical care beds, which was 33% of that of Italy and Germany, and they came to the conclusion the following April in 2017 that the way to do it was to sacrifice the elderly. So all of this, You're quite right when you you mention. Stuart, sure, say that again. Say that again,
0: because say that again, because again, the line is. Bre- your line for some reason is breaking up. Well, you, we we missed something very important. You said when they were looking into how to deal with a pandemic, a SARS-CoV-2 pandemic, the way to deal with it was something. The elderly was it you to tonight? To sa- sacrifice. To sacrifice the elderly. Yes, and that's document. That's documented, is it, Stuart?
7: That's documented. I've sent a copy copy through to Jackie of Exercise Cygnus, which has not been debated by Parliament um, in in either the House of Commons or in the House of Peers. What do they mean and by
0: sacrifice? Sorry, sorry, sorry to cut in. Cause it's very important what you're saying about the House of Commons. We'll come back to that. What do they mean by sacrifice? Do they mean just, well, just, well, leave them be, forget about them? Is that, is that what no, they mean? No, take,
7: t- take them take out steps. of the NHS. Take and steps. if they're in the NHS, take them off treatment and end their lives as quickly as possible. And yep. the plan was to have social care so that um, even though they knew they couldn't possibly deal with them. And I can tell you that James Bullion, who was the head of adult, uh, he's the director of adult social services in England, who happens to be the health director for social care here in Norfolk, actually stated on uh, BBC Radio, um, that on the lunchtime programme, the news programme, Radio 4, that um, he had already planned, he got for Norfolk £26 million, bought 400 beds in care homes, and took people out of the NHS, some with COVID, some who had not, who'd been untested, put them in care homes, and at the end of it, the researcher said, And and what about um, PPE? Do you have sufficient PPE for them to do this? And his response to that was no.
0: No was the answer. That was the response. Uh, They they
7: knew that people were going to die, but they were going to die a terrible death. And that those were in the hospital. They wanted them out, so they didn't get onto critical care beds. They maybe gave some in the early days a chance. But as soon as there was any increase in numbers, the the elderly were to be sacrificed. So it was the over seventy fives. Then it was the over seventies. Then it was the over sixty fives. And I do know in some hospitals that was reduced down to the over sixties. Um, I'm sixty in a in a fortnight's time, so I'd be in that category. There was what they call a population triage. So your population
0: based, triage, a population triage. Yes,
7: Jesus. it's a. It's a
0: this bloody line. I'm just going to turn it down for a sec. This is so important. What's going on? You'd imagine. I I never said this, but something is going on there uh, with Stuart's line, and maybe it's something a bit sinister because this is very important. Um, Stuart, he's... if you can,
7: I'll, I'll try again.
0: The, the, no, it's dreadful. Do, do you know? Do you know what is, is? Is Nicola on standby there, Jackie? By any chance? Jackie
7: Nicola.
0: We'll, we'll bring in Nicola. I'll tell you what we'll do, Stuart, before we hear from Nicola. Um, r- regardless of what happens today with your line, I'm going to invite you back for a one-to-one with me next week and we'll do it on landline. Stick around anyway. Um, but but you and I will do a landline where where it can't be interfered with. And we'll have a good chat next week because you've obviously done your own looking into this and um, you're very articulate, very interesting, and you, ha- and you have previous, of course, as a researcher. So I definitely want to do that with you. Um, I'm sorry the line is dropping out. Nicola, if you're there, you're very welcome, uh, despite the circumstances.
8: Yeah, she, seems, she seems to have disappeared. Oh, on, she gone, is she? You? Oh, oh, you're there. Oh, She's we, there. We might
0: yeah. have heard her. Nicola, welcome to the show.
8: Hiya.
0: It's nice to have you on, d- despite the the, the the subject matter this evening. Um, you're, you're going to tell us your own story, Nicola, in your own time, and you've got all the time you need. Okay. Um, so, basically,
1: the, my story's about my dad. Um... He was um, fifty-nine years old when he passed away, so he wasn't as old as you know some of the elderly ones in the in the nursing homes and things. He was very young still. Um, back in February, he said that um, he didn't feel too good, so we phoned the doctors and one one one, and they said, "Oh, antibiotics." It sounds like he's got the COVID. They didn't test him or anything. They didn't send him for a test. They just said, oh, it sounds like he's got the COVID to isolate for 10 days, which he did. We kept away, obviously, because, you know, this deadly disease. So we were dumping food parcels at his door, not seeing him. Um, Two weeks after that, he was still no better. So we rang the doctor again. And they said, oh, because of your dad's history, because he he did have uh, heart failure, that uh, it sounded like he was getting past the peak of it. Um, and um, because of his complications, it would take longer for it to clear through. So again, more antibiotics. Again, we kept away. And this went on three times. And then this in the May, um, th- we went from the end of February to May. I'd had a bad day at work. I'd rang him to see if he wanted any food. And, um, I, and I, I said to him, I said, "Oh, Dad, just come to the car. You know, I've had a bad day. I can't be bothered to get out the car. Just come and get your food." Because he told me that he he felt all right. And when I saw him, he he was like grey, and his legs were swollen triple the size that they should be, um, which was obviously a complication of his heart failure. Um, so I was like, "Oh, you know, Jesus, just look at the state of you. You know, you're not right." So we couldn't rest. Um, so we took him up to a and um, and they admitted him. They did a COVID test there and then said it was negative. Um, but then they left him on a, on a hot ward with COVID patients after he tested negative. Um, they said his heart rate was too high. They couldn't get it down. Um, they tried water in the veins. They tried medication uh, you know, everything else. And then on the 13th day of him being in there, he was going to discharge himself because he'd had enough. Um, and I was like, no, dad, you're in the right place. You know, the nurses were telling us that he was absolutely fine. He was laughing and joking. He was life and soul. It was just a heart rate that they needed to get down. Um, and then on the on the 13th day, they said that he needed a cardioversion. What's, so they were going to transfer that, him to a bigger hospital that could do this. Um, He was gonna be leaving at 8 p.m. in the evening. Um, They rang at half past seven, said, oh, he's not going there actually. We've got got a surgeon that can do that here, but we don't like to use it. Um, So anyway, they did the cardio version um, and all the time, this is the 16th day now that he's been on a hot ward for COVID after testing negative um and they they said to us oh yeah he can, he can come home now so you know we we went up we fetched him there were there were tears of joy obviously because we hadn't seen him since February really other than that brief stint when he came to the car um so we took him home you know and he was very weak he, he was clearly poorly we could tell that but we just thought you know it's problems with his heart and 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 you know you like the or the lady said that you put faith in the nhs they knew best they'd sent him home he, he was well um that was on the saturday uh on the tuesday we went round no sorry the wednesday no, no no sorry sorry on the tuesday we went round uh my son was four years old he came running in he says oh granddad you've made a mess in the bathroom he's been sick so i went in to to, to clean it up for him you know if he'd been sick he'd been sick but um it was actually um like a big massive uh pool of blood and I was like how long have you been like that dad um and he says I keep telling them every time I eat I get these pains and I'm bleeding from my back passage so I was like well that that's not right so I rang up the hospital and they said um oh, um, he never mentioned that whilst he was in here, you know, he was perfectly fine and all this. Mm. So I said, well, well, he's been taking this and it turned out that they'd sent him home um, with laxatives. So my dad was popping them like, you know, paracetamol every two hours. So we put it down to... You know, you've made a mistake. My dad was illiterate. Um, I did everything for him, all his correspondence. So, not being able to be up the hospital was very difficult. So, he must have got confused that these uh, laxative medication was for the stomach pains, but it was having the adverse effect. So, we just said, you know, okay, we'll see how you are 24 hours after not taking this medicine. Um and we'll go from there. Well, the next morning I rang him 36 times. I had no response. So immediately you fear, you know, the worst, he's gone. Um, my husband went down to see if he was all right. He was laying in his bed. He said, I've heard the phone, I just can't get up. So we rang the ambulance, they came, um, took him in. Uh, a fair play to him. They were the they were the only ones in all of this that were genuinely nice guys. They said I don't know what the hospital will say when you get there, but we're prepared to take you in the ambulance. You know, your dad's illiterate. He doesn't understand. Um, so they let me go. And when we got to the hospital, it was like fighting with... Uh, uh, the nurse was so rude to me and she was, she was having none of it. I, I wasn't allowed in. My dad was there on a trolley in the waiting area whilst I was rowing with this nurse. You know, he doesn't understand. He's not going to understand you. Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't let me in anyway, and I, I never expected what was going to come. So, the last thing I did, I just held his hand. I said, Here's your phone, Dad, ring me. And I regret that, but I didn't know you didn't know, you know obviously, yeah, what, what was going to happen. If I didn't know, you know, I'd have held him, etc., but uh, I didn't. Um, but then about four hours later, the doctor rang and said, um, he's very poorly. we don't know what to do with him, we don't know whether to put him on a a medical ward or um, a a normal ward or a a surgical ward. They didn't know where to put him because they didn't know what was wrong with him. Um, So they left him, again, on the hot ward for COVID. Then he brought up, um, I've had a a huge conversation with your dad about a DNAR, uh, and your dad's wishes are that um you know if 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 that happens he doesn't want to be resuscitated so that shot me like a bullet because i wasn't expecting him to be that ill i didn't know he was that ill this was like uh it, what you know so the only thing i could muster up to say back to them was well if that's my dad's wishes you know that that's his wishes that's yeah. all i could uh, you, you, couldn't say, you couldn't you couldn't say
0: anything yeah. else what what else could you say but but what were they uh, we 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 spoke with with, um, with with Lorraine and with Michelle and Anna earlier on about this as well. What were they telling you? Because it's one thing to say, you know, your dad's very poorly. We're very worried. But what what strikes me is very common amongst all these stories. They're not very good at explaining what exactly is wrong and what they might try to do to treat him.
1: Oh, no, absolutely not. We rang uh, and rang and rang. And every time we, the, for the first two days that he was readmitted, we were told that they didn't know what was wrong with him, um, that they couldn't pinpoint this. Uh, they said it, we were told it was sepsis. We were told he had an infection. We were told that um, he had internal bleeding and they didn't know where it was coming from. Uh, we were told he had, um, he'd acquired hospital pneumonia, Hap. He'd acquired that. Um, so we were told all sorts of things, but nothing actually like, this is what's wrong with your dad. Yeah. Um. So they, they kept him in. And after the DNR uh, conversation, we rang him on his mobile of the evening and he was very upset. He spoke to my sister and he was tearful. And he says, they've scared me, saying um, that they won't help me if, if if something happens to me. They've told me that they won't help me. And we were like, but they said that you agreed yeah. to that. And my dad was like, no, I didn't. And he was very, very upset. He, as I say, you know, he didn't understand. He was illiterate. They were saying, telling me one thing, and they told my dad a different thing. Um, so he, he, he would always say to them, you know, tell, tell my daughter, tell Nicola, because I don't know what you're saying to me. So immediately I rang the ward after that conversation with my dad. Uh, the doctor wouldn't take my call. Uh, he didn't ring me back till nine o'clock the next morning, and he basically said that uh, we medically overrule you anyway. If your dad needs intensive care, we won't be put there. If he needs an operation, we won't be giving it to him. Um, uh, and and it was that was it really. And is there so- any
0: is there any compassion in these conversations? Because if yeah. some, if if I had to say that to you, Nicola, or to Michelle, or to Lorraine, or to Stuart i'd be I wouldn't be putting it as bluntly as that you know, if I had to say that I'd be trying to explain why and you know assure or reassure you that you know there isn't much else we can do, and we'll make sure that there's no pain. These people sound like again from the stories we've heard this evening very hard and cold and clinical. Mm-hmm.
1: is that how it yeah. is sure. literally brutal There is there no compassion whatsoever. Uh, they, they just was literally, you know, your dad's a lump of meat or he's just a number. They weren't bothered. You know, they really didn't care. And I said to it, I begged and pleaded, "Can I please come up and see him? If you let me come and see him, I can explain to him what's going on. You know, he might be more responsive, etc." And the nurse's exact words to me were, "You won't be allowed in unless he's a goner."
0: That's what she said. Unless to her, he's a goner. Words. Is that a technical term, is it, unless he's a goner? And your dad, by the way, amazing coincidence, there was um, a gentleman on Radio 5 Live this morning who was only beginning to learn how to read and write, and he sounded like one of the smartest guys that I've ever heard. Illiteracy uh, is not akin to stupidity. It is not. If your dad was scared and he said, these people are telling me that they're not going to help me, he was obviously telling the truth. There's no doubt about that. He understood Mm -hmm. that. He's not stupid. Your dad wasn't stupid. So they told you that he'd agreed to the DNAR, but he said no way. That's really concerning that.
1: Yeah, they did. Um, I'm I'm now in receipt of my dad's notes and there's actually nothing in his notes whatsoever of uh, consent for a DNAR. And I was under the impression that they had to sign one. There's nothing in his notes whatsoever. Um, All it says is in his notes, discussed with daughter, she says if that's his wishes and that's where his notes read. There's no um, consent form or or anything like that. But what is really alarming is when that doctor rang me and said uh, that they'd had a a, a massive conversation with my dad about it, the notes read from the ambulance, ride that we took, uh, full resuscitation... Um, 10 minutes later so 10 minutes to get him off the, the ambulance me to have the argument with the nurse him to be wheeled into a bay for a doctor to come there was a DNIR placed on him within 10 minutes of getting off that ambulance
0: within 10 minutes, yeah. ten
1: minutes. can i just interject there it's jackie again
8: here um i've done some research uh, recently into uh dm dnar's and um apparently um it is completely down to the consultant at the hospital, not down to the patient and not down to the patient's family, um, whether one goes on or not. They, their only obligation is to discuss, say they've discussed it with the family, um, but they and they can discuss it with you, and you can give your opinion, but that doesn't mean that one won't go on. Um, uh, ultimately, yeah. it, it's down to the consultant. And I couldn't believe mm-hmm. that when I heard that a couple of months ago, had a long argument with the consultant saying, well, that can't be right. And he said that is, and so I looked it up, and it is actually right. So, yeah, yeah. their only obligation is to is to talk to you. But it, it, I was in a situation where my dad had one, and uh, they didn't discuss it with me or him. And and on the form, it's just blank. So, they don't even bother to discuss it with people half the time. No. Oh,
1: God.
0: What happened but then, Nicola? What how, how this ends very badly. I know that. What happened? What happened next? Well,
1: on the on the Friday. They rang and said, Um, the nurse called and said, The doctor needs to speak to you. I said, Okay, that's fine. You know, an update on my dad, whatever. Um, and she said, Oh, but she's a bit busy, so she'll call you back. And again, we waited three, four, five hours. I rang numerous times. She was constantly busy, and I was like, Can you just tell me what you know, what the problem is? By this time, we'd had him down there, he'd got cancer, he, you know, everything goes through your head. Um, And um, they they said, oh, um, when the doctor did eventually call back, he's contracted COVID. Um, They said that uh, they couldn't pinpoint a date, but it was more than highly likely it was contracted in his last visit, uh, his last admission. So they said in the grand scheme of things, he was actually quite all right with the COVID. He wasn't that poorly. Um, So we were like, okay, that, you know. Fair enough. But then the next day they said that he took a turn for the worst and he needed to be placed onto a a CPAP um, for his breathing. They said that um, they wouldn't give him a ventilator because they didn't think it was worth it. Um, And the CPAP was his last chance saloon, basically. Um, so they normally
0: a- they normally give that for people with sleep apnea, don't they? People who can't, yes, uh, that's right, snoring yeah, Snoring wakes the them up. Yeah. The way it
1: explained to us by the nurse was, she yeah. says, if you stick your head out of a car window going down a motorway, that's the sensation that it that it gives you. Um, and she said it it really is down to the success of it is down to the patient's how, how long they can we um, we've stand it if they can take to it, it will work. So we were like, again, we're back here again. And then they rang about four hours again later and said it was working. And me and my sister were here, we cried happy tears. Yeah. They said his oxygen levels had gone right back up, his CPR levels had more than halved. Um, you know, So it was all looking really, really positive. He was, he was doing really well. And that was the Saturday. And I never spoke to my dad again um, after that. We were ringing, there was no answer. The nurses weren't taking the call on the ward. Um on the Monday the doctor consultant rang me and he said, you know, everything was doing well. He'd got past the peak of the COVID, that he would be home on the weekend. Um he said, you know, he's still quite poorly, but he's past the peak of anything, you know, significant. The COVID's going, all his stats are looking good, etc. Um, and then in the morning, on the Tuesday morning, he was gone. Um he passed away at two o'clock in the morning. We were rang at seven o'clock in the morning. Oh, Nicola. So um, the, the, when we got there, the, the, well, they rang and said, um, can you come up the hospital? I said, why? And they said, I can't tell you across the phone. We just need you to come up. So we went up and um, the doctor said, oh, we've been ringing. Um, there's been a mix up in the numbers. We've been phoning your dad's phone number. Um, they said they we were ringing my dad's mobile number, and he would. They said that um, he got very angry, pulled his CPAP off, and he. They said he was gone within twenty minutes. It was that quick that they didn't even have time to medicate him, um, and they didn't know he was going to die. Uh, it was literally like that quick that he took this mask off and and he was gone. So we accepted it until. You know, you hear all these stories. So I got his notes and he was actually on uh, Modazolam and morphine for three days. They started Mm -hmm. prescribing to him every two hours on the 13th of June. So them to tell me that he was gone within 20 minutes of taking his mask off, it, it, it's lies because they knew because he was like you say the liverpool care pathway we weren't told that my dad was palliative we weren't told he was a life. we were told he was coming home you know i, I can accept I, i'm i'm not a medical person but i'm not naive i know that heart failure isn't good you know but I, I could have had him here we could have nursed him we could have loved him we could have been with him he was alone and he was scared and you know he, he, his notes read that um They told him that the outcome was probably death and he was keen to ring me. They didn't ring me. This was the day before. But under my impression, if you're on the the midazolam and morphine, would you not be in a vegetative state of a coma anyway? It's a sedative. So how can they be having these? You know, they were telling me that he was up talking. He'd had a shave. He'd had some food. But his notes were totally different he was on 40 sip he was on these uh you know morphine midazolam um they gave him as stuart touched on earlier that in his last 10 minutes they gave him um like a a busker plan kind of thing for the secretions to stop the death rattle as stuart said they gave him morphine they gave him levon chromosome. And they gave him um, those three within 10 minutes of his passing. And his last administration of the, the midazolam was two hours before we passed.
0: Nicola, has anybody explained to you why you and your sister were being told that things were on the up and up when patently they couldn't have been? He couldn't have been up and about cheery and happy as Larry if they were giving him these medications. So has anybody given you any explanation as to what that was about?
1: Uh, No, Richie, they won't answer me. I'm going through a complaint process with polls, which I was advised to do. Um, They told me that they would have an answer back to me um, by November the 30th. Obviously, we know it it, June the 10th. um, I've sent them 12 emails since November and they keep saying to me that they can't give me a date um, because of the pandemic. Apparently, um, the last email I sent them last week was, you know, just stating the numbers that are an all time low. Surely now someone has got, you know, some time to to look into what happened to my dad. But it's got to the point with us now that can we ever believe what they say anyway? Yeah. No, well, they, they, they said that they were ringing the wrong number, yet they were ringing me constantly throughout his staying there. My phone number was on the death notice next to his bed and there were no missed calls on my dad's phone. And it, his phone was actually missing. I had to go back up to the hospital the next day and, and kick off to get his phone back. And when mm-hmm. I got it back, there was one missed call on his phone, which was two minutes after they'd spoken to me and told me to go up there. Yet they said they were ringing him all through
0: the night. And they weren't, because the evidence would be there, so they weren't doing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know what to say to this, you see. Everybody's going to come back in now and have a say, I think. We'll we'll stick around as long as you need to have your say. I just want to just remind our listeners, we're obviously going over time uh, tonight because we should do. It's right and proper that uh, we hear these stories. You've been listening uh, to Nicola and to Michelle. Michelle's with her friend Anna. You've been listening to Lorraine and to Stuart, and uh I don't know what to say to, to, to people when when they tell stories like this. It's it's just so cruel and so wicked and, and dreadful. What do you get into medicine for if it isn't to yeah. to help people, to do all you can to keep people alive and and uh you know, to administer to them what they actually need. And 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 this is painting a story. Like I said earlier on, it it, it sounds like some Hollywood thriller where where people are going into hospital and you know, it would be bad enough if the staff were were negligent. It would be bad enough if they were negligent and if they were careless. But these stories suggest that it's something far more sinister than that, that that people are being... I can't believe I'm saying it, that people are murdered, Jackie. Let's bring Jackie Devoy back in. Yeah, Jackie I'm brought us all together. I
8: was just yeah, it is actually unbelievable. But it makes me wonder, are they perhaps recruiting certain personality types, you know, over the last few years, Um into into the nhs because it, it's just unbelievable i've heard this over and over again that they're like robots that they're heartless that the way they that present um the tragic news is just like just robotic and awful you know so it makes you wonder because these aren't the normal people that would be attracted in into nursing so it does make you wonder are, are they recruiting certain types because it i have heard this story in pretty much every every case some horrible nurse ratchet type nurse, you know? Yeah. Um, in every story. So it's kind of like the police, isn't it? The recent sort of police personality types, it's they are they recruiting you know psychopaths into the police and, and perhaps they're doing the same in the NHS. I mean, and also, if you are the sort of uh, uh, a sort of Harold Shipman type and that is something that you want to do, what, you know, what better place to do it? You know, there have been many cases of nurses uh, being being um, done for murders, Beverly Allen, back in the, was it in the 80s or 90s, killing the, the children in hospital, you know, yeah. if you do want to do that kind of thing, um, then, you know, th- you would be attracted to that kind of job, in the same way as maybe paedophiles get jobs working with children, maybe psychopaths are, are, are drawn into caring type environments. I'm not saying all nurses and carers are psychopaths, but I think there's been so many reports of, um, you know, rapes in care homes and, and, and abuse in, in, in care homes and hospitals and hospices. It does make you wonder.
0: There's also yeah. a case at the moment, uh, speaking of Beverly Allett, I can't think of the name of this woman, but there's a young woman who looks thoroughly decent and lovely, almost angelic. Who's uh, accused of unspeakable uh, crimes? She's accused of murdering a dozen babies, isn't she, at a hospital, or maybe yeah. more? And you wonder how does how how does that happen? Jackie, I know you've you said earlier on twenty eight editors have been given this. There's there there's for me to say that there's enough to go on is an understatement. You've put it all together. Um, our our guests this evening have told their stories. Why? I know it's going to sound very naive because of the program I do. I mean, I've been in the media. I know the media. But why they wouldn't be killing themselves not to to be scooped, you know. If I was one of those 28 editors, I'm thinking, we got to first of all we got to do our due diligence, cross-reference everything Jackie Devi has given us, and when we confirm it, we've got to go to print immediately. But this is yeah. not happening. They're ignoring it.
8: Yeah. And it's almost like it it's too strange that all of them have ignored it i mean right at the very start i did when i i I initially put out an email saying i've got a huge story anyone interested yeah and and then i got a couple of two phone calls and one meeting and um but then when I actually, I thought that this isn't going anywhere and they both check, rapidly changed their mind, but they didn't have time to look at it or something, you know, yeah. even though one of them had said to me, wow, this is going to be the headline, you know, the next uh, two two weeks later they were going, oh, I don't really know now. And It's like, oh, I don't really know what's going on. So, um, yeah, and when I put it out, then, then I put the actual story out, then it was like complete silence the next day. Complete, complete like deafening silence. silence. Can, can we go um, around?
0: Can we go around, everybody? You know, quickly, just for the moment, we go back to Lorraine if Lorraine is still with us. I'm really interested to know have you all tried to go down the political route? Have you contacted your local MP or even a local mayor to say, look, this is what's happened? And if you have done that, have you had any response? Lorraine, have you done that? Lorraine might be gone now. Anybody else wants to come in on on on, on the um, politics? Uh,
9: Michelle, me and Michelle are here. Um, we are we are pursuing that um, avenue now. We're going to contact uh, Michelle's local MP, uh, which happens to be a very London one. So, um, and uh, we'll we'll take it from there. It's Anna, by the way. So
0: thanks, Anna. Because what what I'll do it won't take any time. Not that it matters how long it takes. Is uh, I'll email a copy of the programme, well the link to it anyway to all of the 650 MPs and uh, I won't say very much other than look I've been hearing some very disturbing things from people and you really need to look into it Should
9: we let you know the responses Richie? Oh
0: please, oh, listen. of course we're going to follow this up this won't be the last time we speak No, Mm. this is not the mainstream media God no, you'll be coming back uh, to update us, no doubt about that If there's anything that anybody feels you know that has been unsaid or anything you'd like to see can I first of all say for what it's worth, I know it won't mean anything, because I don't understand this. I'm I'm genuinely sorry for you. I really am. I can't imagine how you get up in the morning knowing that this has happened, the injustice of it. And the injustice, of course, must inevitably lead to anger and to pain and even more pain. So how you de- deal with that, I, I'm in awe of you. So, you know, fair play to all of you. You've got my genuine sympathy dreadful stuff
8: this Richie I just wanted to add we can't get Stuart back on because of the the bad line, the line is bad, um, right? but he was getting to the part I and mean, Stuart's story is just so horrific he not only lost his mum in the way he explained earlier on the 23rd of December 2020 but six days later his dad in a separate care home was also killed is that so right? When you get him on next week, I mean, he's got a very long story, and also Stuart has got a lot of really um, interesting information, uh, the background to all the politics of it. Well, particularly um, what he
0: said about 2016, yeah. I, I want to get into that. Yeah. You know, this yeah. thing that we basically forget about the, well, it's, it's, it's worse than forget about the elderly, just basically exclude them, get yeah. rid of them, get them out of the way, basically. Yeah. And this I've is been documented.
8: looking at that document that uh, he sent me earlier, actually, um, Sickness exercise sickness it's called, and it's a very lengthy document and it and it covers everything that like he was um saying as an official um doc government document So
0: what jack you've um i' don't want to saying that you've been around a long time is a rude thing to say <laughs> but you've been um but you know you've been doing your job a long time what are the, what what are, what what yeah you, you have thirty six yeah. years what are the odds that one of the papers i mean i'm stunned that the mail online won't take it. I really am. Again, you might say you're naive, Richie. I thought the mail online, that's a banker. They'll go with this.
8: No, no.
0: no interest at all.
8: Wow. No. Yeah. Unless they I mean, you know, you try and make excuses saying maybe they didn't get the email, but I've chased them up. No, they've you know, got the, the email. And just again, just nothing. But I'll email, I can email them about something else and they'll reply.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
8: So there's something uh, very sinister going on
0: there. Can I ask our listeners as well? Look, I'm going to do it, so uh, can I ask you to contact your own local MP? So if you're listening to this, wherever you are in the country, Scotland, Wales, wherever, Northern Ireland, uh, please take the link later on. It'll be on Podomatic in about a half an hour. and It'll be on Spotify, iTunes, the usual places. Take the link and send a very polite email to your local MP or to your mayor or mayoress and just say, listen... Uh, I'm your constituent. I voted for you, whether you did or didn't. I listened to this show this evening, I heard these ladies and this gentleman and a journalist, please um ask a question about it. You know, ask your MP to ask a question about it. To to ask a question of Matt Hancock about it. Uh that's what I I, I would say. So look um I don't want to be, you know, ending this abruptly. But um, we've, we've, we've had to take a lot on board, haven't we? We've heard a lot tonight. If there's anything anybody wants to say, Nicola might want to come back in again, Michelle might want to come back in again, uh, or even Jackie. If there is, now's the time to say it and then we'll, we'll, we'll leave yeah. it there for today. But be, be in case I forget later on, um, thanks for your courage in speaking out at a time that must be very difficult for you. All of you, I mean it. And Jackie, great work, Jackie.
8: Thank you. I mean, everyone was very nervous. I'm, I'm not so nervous as I was um, a few months ago, but I, I still get a bit nervous. But these people that we've been speaking to today, they, you know, they haven't really done anything like this before. They're really nervous, and, but they, they, they know that they have to do it. They just have to do it. You're just compelled. You can't just leave something like that and ignore it. You have to speak out. And, and if only um, NHS staff and care home staff were as brave, uh, the world would be a better place.
0: Yeah, some of them are. We we and, and and I know, I know, I know you know this. Some of them are. We we've heard from nurses who've quit. We've heard from nurses who are still working, in the NHS, and and they're not happy and they've spoken out. the, the best The best place for this discussion, of course, would have been on BBC Radio today or, or 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 Talk Radio today. Maybe yeah. maybe the likes of Mike Graham, Maybe who knows? Maybe 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 Julia Hartley Brewer. Maybe P- take this on and take it a bit further. And I'm hoping to of... make a
8: documentary actually um richie i'm uh, talking I'm talking to someone tomorrow about making it a documentary so we can um include everyone in that and, and just yeah. give them more more space and hopefully more um more publicity for any, what's going on.
0: anything i could do for, in that respect i'd I'd be only glad to do is there anything anybody wants to say then before um before we wrap it up for today
9: just just wanted to say thank you. To you both and to jackie for, for getting in touch and uh helping my friend because you know she's she feels a lot better
1: today she really does so great, thank huh? you so much thank you You're You're
8: welcome.
1: You're welcome yeah i just want to say thank you to the both of you You're the first two people in the past 12 months that haven't treated me like i'm a crazy lady yeah. you know i've had doors shut in my face everyone just seems to think that i'm off this planet so Thank you for you know listening to me and actually believing what's happening. So thank you.
8: Well, there's hundreds of you coming forward now. So you know, it, if if you're the crazy lady, there are there are hundreds more crazy <laughs> ladies out there, and and more coming at us as we speak.
0: Yeah, and a, and a shout out to Gareth, um, my my mate Gareth Ike for uh, platforming Jackie last week. Uh, they've got a, obviously a very big platform as well. So big shout out to Gareth for doing. That uh, oh, people should always check him out. They were iconic. I think you're marvelous. I really do. And if any time you want to 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 come on to update us, or even if you want to come on and have a vent about it, you're always welcome. It's the reason we do this particular program. And, if you uh, can hear
7: me, if you can hear oh, me. Oh, you're Mr.
0: there, Stuart. You've, Stuart, go ahead. Oh. Yeah, we'll give you the final word, Stuart.
7: there is, there is an ammeter on this. There is a silence over this, which is extremely worrying because of the people involved, and it goes right to the top. Um, tens of thousands of people have died this way. And I just wanted to say, don't feel guilty to the individual families. They tried to save their loved ones, their, their parents, but the state intended to do this. Absolutely. And the, the, the NHS, which I never thought I would say, because my aunt was in the NHS, I know, the National Health Service was a good thing, but I now refer to it as the National Homicide Service.
0: Stuart, you and I will take this up next week. on on a better line. And when I said absolutely, the point I was endorsing was that nobody should feel that they somehow let down their mum or their dad. You didn't. It it would have happened to every one of us. It would have happened to me. Uh, As mouthy and as gobby as I am, it would have happened to me. So you can't beat yourself up about that. Thanks to every one of you. Thanks to Stuart Wilkie. Thanks to Michelle and our friend Anna. Thanks to Nicola. And thanks to Lorraine. And as always, thanks to uh, my mate Jackie Devoy. Thanks all of you. God bless, and uh, hope we'll speak again soon. Thanks for that.
7: God bless, God bless you. Bye for Thank now.
0: Thank you. Bye. So that's it for the programme uh, then today. It'll be on the, the usual platforms very soon, and I would invite you to uh, to please share it with people. And it won't take you more than a minute to email your own MP. I mean, I'll email 650 of them. I'll, I'll do a, a mass mailing uh, tomorrow. but But if you do it as well, and be polite and inquisitive and you could say that you you know you expect an answer in a nice way you could say that look i hope to hear back from you on this and if we don't hear anything well we'll email them again and and if we don't hear anything then we'll phone up the offices and we'll leave messages but but at all times we'll be respectful and polite and we won't give anybody any you know excuses we won't give anybody anything to hold against us we'll say look we we believe this is going on these people deserve to be heard end of story and uh, that's what that's where I'm going to leave it. Listen, uh, I'm not soppy and I'm not sentimental, but I'm going to I'm going to close out the program with um, with this song for the families that we've heard from tonight and from their loved ones. I'll see you on Sunday at uh, ten o'clock for Sunday morning melodies.
7: When you